Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to the Daily Transcendence Podcast. I'm G.O.D. And I'm Ray. And we're your hosts. Take a journey with us into the realms of some of humanity's most inner thoughts and theories about what lies before us and beyond the other side. Take a step back with us from the day-to-day heavy burdens of this constant evolving life. From awakening the collective, astrology, the spiritual divine, holistic health, shamanism, and quantum theory, to the frequencies and vibrations of our universe, history, religion, numerology, and so much more. We spend countless hours researching to bring you the breakdown of information from some of the greatest minds in these fields and even our own experiences. We're here to challenge your thoughts so that you can reshape your own minds and beliefs into ones that better serve you. We hope you enjoy the discussions about the supernatural and the ancient knowledge that we have become so fond of and we wish to share with you so that it may also help you on your quest in this human experience we're living. Let the transcendence begin, Godspeed, and share on. Like and subscribe to The Daily Transcendence on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. To show support for the show, we ask you to join us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, and YouTube. There you can find more content, updates on new episodes, and more personal interactions from both Gio and I. We want to hear from you all and connect, so message us or email us at thedailytranscendence at gmail.com. As always, we entirely appreciate your support in allowing us to bring you this transmission. So, you know, the chart kind of happens to you. Like, there's, a, there's definitely a point in the beginning, maybe, where you're looking at it and it's like, okay, so, you know, Mars is here and Venus is here. So these energies would mean this, but there's this other, there's this moment that happens where there's like this crescendo of energy when you look at the chart and it, it sparks awareness, you know, the awareness happens to you and it's like, okay, now I'm, you know, I'm like doing astrology, you know, like now this is the breakthrough. This is what I've been Mm -hmm. waiting for because it's funny because you think, you know, just like with most skills that you project forward and you're like, okay, that's going to be the point when I, you have this breakthrough. It's going to be when I'm con when I confidently know all of this stuff because of what I've learned and memorized. And it's like, no, it's the moment in which you can feel it. You can, you know, the moment that you, when Venus transits into Virgo, you feel it in your body and you actually like recognize something has happened. And you start to look at people's faces and you start to notice the way in which everyone is being affected by it in different ways. And you can almost start to pinpoint what ways they're being affected by it you know, depending on um, what their chart is without even knowing it. So it's like, you know, it's just, it becomes life and, and life and astrology start to become each other. True. I mean, it's I just, wild. I've noticed even just sometimes if I, if I'm aware of maybe, and I know of some other people in my life and their charts and stuff, if, if something occurs and I do reference it or I, I, the light bulb goes on about maybe something going on, a current influence or something like it definitely helps to pacify even maybe my attitude sometimes towards things. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh, chill out a little bit. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're like, chill out a little bit. You, you, they, they, this is kind of like a, a, a 
just a naturally occurring thing. And you have to kind of just have a little discernment and patience. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I'll say this too. I like where we're at. So we're started. So this is, this is a great thing to start with because it really, honestly, it's to me, I did, I think, feel that it's just Gio and I have a, have an issue with trusting ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so Absolutely. we know what we're, we know astrology, but it's yeah. like, mm, if you put a chart in front of me, I don't just have that. I have the feeling that I could do it. I don't have the, my, maybe my Virgo midheaven, maybe Gio's Virgo rising. I, you know, I, cause I blame Virgo for the perfectionist qualities. It's just yeah. like, ah, like my, my feelings are there. My mind doesn't feel like it is. It's still bitching and moaning that I don't know enough. And so, yeah. but with astrology, it really is. You're right. Like there's an intuitiveness to like, Hey, I could do this. And now it's where I think Gio and I both are in this realm where we're like, Hey, astrology and being astrologers are on the list. They're on the to-do list. They're, they are part of our journey. They are part of our mission. And yeah. now it's like, we're attracting the right people too, because just from the energy we get from this, these now only into the second conversation like this, like I could feel like I love talking astrology and, and having you here with knowing not only that, you know, astrology, but then the history aspects of it. It's like, Hey, this is what it's going to take in the age of Aquarius to like have these communities of people and, you know, allow the universe to bring them to you as long as you're following your destiny. And like, we know we're, we know we're in the right place. It's what gives us the validation that astrology is extremely important and vital. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think you've ever told us what was the moment that you got into like astrology was like, I need to, like, it wasn't from David, was it? Well, I, um, you know, I grew up with a mom who was into all, all things like astrology and, esoteric wisdom and all of that. And so it was kind of just part of my background as I was growing up. And, but I, I never got into it beyond looking through her books and trying to figure out what my chart was. And then, you know, getting friends into it and looking at all of our friends charts, you know, but looking at the sun, moon and Venus, that's it. Right. Mm. Um, and so I only, I don't know. I I stumbled upon it or I got more into it having been working at High Vibe and I learned more. And then I worked with Jax for a while with a mentorship. And I don't remember Jax. We really started, it was going to be a mentorship of other stuff, but but you brought astrology into it. And I was thinking, why am I learning astrology from Jax when I'm working with David? (laughs) (laughs) David Palmer is at my disposal. But what I really, I got more confidence. I'm not, I'm nowhere near an astrologer, right? To me, it's interesting because historical people used it. And, you know, I, now I know a lot more when I see astrological references in the primary sources that I look at for history. But I also had fun learning about it and finding out that really, I'm I am more of the type of person where it, it has to be intuitive because I will never, um, angles will never mean anything to me, right? Like mm. I can appreciate the beauty of trines and sextiles and sessi quadrant, whatever, sessi sextile. I don't even know all the names, right? And I can appreciate that, but it will never be, okay, I memorized this and so this and this connect and it's, it's Ah, this. So you're very honed in on specifics because it's actually making your primary thing history 
It's mm-hmm. that's what's it's a supporting role to your his, historian role is what you're saying, right? Well, I would never use astrology in actual academic history <laughs> that I write. Or well, or right? well, you know? like your area of astrology tends mm-hmm. to be more favored in the fact that in the historical data and seeing what happened around then and then the fascination maybe being from the sky telling the story as well in parallel. Well, to me, I think what's interesting is just that um I don't know. Like, I think I mentioned this before. There is something that you can't learn from history, right? You can't know everything. And what's been helpful is thinking about historical eras, like the long time, like I don't the stuff that Jax really knows very well that we'll be going into more depth about when we do our show. Mm. But it's interesting to me to see how there are these repeating patterns that seem to repeat in history and astrology. So they do link. And also um, it was fascinating to me when um, Jax and David Palmer and I and Abby Moneyhun was around the studio and Craig Skidmore. And we, we all were working on this um, show about the Salem witch trials that got lost. <laughs> the hard drive broke and it's gone. So we, um, it was fascinating to me to see Jax and David both talking about the charts of historical people or reasons why things like the witch trials were happening. And then in the show that I did shows that I did with David to see how he could discuss character traits of people or explain, for example, why why he thought Edgar Allan Poe was an alcoholic, for example. Right. Or um, just explanations that you could look for in the chart that a historian would never know. We, we can't explain why someone was mm. doing something right. You can't get in their head. So it's an interesting perspective that I think is is valuable because for so long, people put a lot of faith in the belief system and it's interesting to see how it works out. Yeah, it's crazy because like I totally resonate with that because for me, even when it came to, you know, we already talked about how like I, I already kind of had an interest always about history. And it was always because I was thinking of maybe if I was in a historical site or something being like, wow, these types of people have their feet have walked across this path. Like they looked at this type of area, but with a different view maybe. And it was like almost like jumping into the mind of those people. And so it's like when I mix it with astrology now, like the thing has always been, it's like, I feel like you get to jump onto that timeline you get to maybe see maybe more of the deeper psychological type of uh, 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 resonance that's there at that time. Like you get to maybe it's like the closest thing of experiencing it and like almost traveling to that or to being that type of person. And you get to speculate on it. It's not that it's got to be a definite, but you really get to sit there and maybe use that intuition. You know what I mean? Like I, that's, I'm big on that because like, I mean, I'm a Pisces moon. Like, so like Mm -hmm. I really connect emotionally with intuitive things. And that was also something with astrology was as much as it could seem very logical at times, like, and understanding maybe even, you know, trines or squares or sextiles and everything. um, I always felt that there has to be some sort of, there has to be some sort of like 
significance to this, to these patterns, to these shapes. And the more that I realized, and this goes a little maybe into um, cymatics and everything and geometry and like sacred Mm -hmm. geometry, it's like now I'm starting to see that like this is the language of the universe. Like this is how it all culminates and comes into form because shapes, like we understand that sound and is vibration. Like it's vibration that's happening. Vibration does make shapes, shapes make forms. So it's like, this was what creates our reality. And we could almost see that and decode that. And we can look at kind of what type of essence does it come from? Maybe instead of looking at it from a, um, this is a bad or good thing. Like, yes, there is positive and negatives, but I think we're just looking at it from a binary system. But I think it yeah. moves It moves diagonal, it moves sideways, it moves all sorts of ways. So it's like, that's the thing where I'm starting to see, I'm like, wow, it gets you to be involved with nature more when you look at it from that stance, rather than maybe just some sort of co-star horoscopical, uh, horoscopical like type of, you know, airy fairy type. Like astrology, no, yeah. that app. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Yeah. It's, um, it, it well, and that's, that's, I think that's actually directly connected. It's like so ham handed, like, you know, the thing is, I think with aspects too, cause Anne, you brought this up about, you know, not really feeling, you know, the, the aspects being, you know, squares being trines, et cetera. One of the biggest, uh, most important uh, breakthroughs that I had was the was utilizing minor aspects, which um, you know, you, you rather than just having you know conjunction, opposition, square, trine, etc. Instead of just having you know like a piano with like four keys on it, instead you know utilizing all of the minor aspects, mm. so the whole symphony is like mm. available. You know, you go from the zero degree conjunction to the eighteen degree vigintile the 24 degree uh, quindecile, the um, 30 degree semi-sextile, the 33 degree undecile, the 36 degree decile. And when you have all of these little slight subtleties, then the full conversation happens. But I think astrology is commonly done, of course, out of, you know, like you were saying, geo, like good and bad. It's like, oh, this is a square. Or this is an opposition. Like, oh shit. You know, it's like, oh, this is trining. This is great. And it, it's like, it's, that's too simplified because if conversations don't happen that way, you know, um, if you have a conversation with someone and you, you know, you're, you're only speaking in major aspects, then, you know, it's like, we're together. And then it would be, you know, like we we're happy together. And it's like, but we have a problem with communication and it's like, but, you know, at the end of the day, I'm sure we can work it out, but this is still a, you know, a huge problem. We have to solve it right now. And that wouldn't, that conversation wouldn't make sense. Mm -hmm. The subtleties and all the things that go into each and every moment in between, those things are what makes the full conversation. You know, it's not just about the, the black and white, the binary, the zero and the one. It's about all of these things that happen in between those moments. And we, you know, as a society, you know, you're just looking at, you know, America in the past, you know, six years. Um, we as a society are speaking in major aspects, you know, you're with me or against me, you're, you know, left or right, as if those are the only two options. You're, you know, um, you are either um, very much with this agenda, or you're a terrible person, like those are the only two options. And, um, you know, it's very reminiscent of like the Cold War and kind of like how we were looking at our systems. And we're like, you know, which one is evil and which one is good. And so um, nothing in life is ever solved by using these like, staunch um, left and right, um, you you know, uh, methods of thinking, we can't, we can never solve 
our, our own individual sovereign path through a dichotomous path of left to right. It's just impossible. We have to be able to allow ourselves to see both sides truly so that we can take the third path, which is our own, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah my, my Jupiterian, you know, personality always, as, as soon as I started understanding astrology, I, I didn't like to say positive, negative. I like to always say, it's like, well, this is a challenge, but it's like the, the whole point I would feel of astrology is not to look at it in positive and negative is, okay, here's the task at hand. Maybe that's my Saturn yeah. cap talking. And, but my Jupiterian yeah. is like, instead of saying, oh, this is good or bad. It's like, okay, this is difficult or this is not so difficult, you know, or right. this is meaning, this is, has more meaning in this area and less meaning in this area. But it, there's just some, to me, is what I meant by Jupiter is there's always a gift to be had with whatever you're like being given in life when it comes to challenges, good or bad aspects, you know, I'm not that. And that's why I I cannot wait to be more engulfed in in astrology and and become one just like yourself. And uh, because I have that mindset, it's like, I want to know what we could do about things. I don't want to know about the problems and and based in them. I want to know, okay, this is the problem at hand. So what do we do from here? It's not about, it's like, well, here's the problem. I need to spit every fact about the problem. And we need to really just, you know, magnifying glass on everything that is the issue. It's like, okay, but that's great. But how, so then how are we using that as a utility and as a tool? So then we could better the situation. And so it, it plays into the talk tonight too, because why are we bringing up the, we're going to go into the revolutionary war of 1700s and just how it's all parallel, the civil war, all this other stuff. It's you use astrology. So you have an awareness to then better your life or ease up the situation to, to, to evolve, right? It's a form of evolution. It's not a form of like, Oh, well, I know my day is going to be shit today because my moon is squaring Mars or something. It's like, Oh, here we go. Bad day. It's like, well, no, no, no. How could you use that to your benefit? Right. (laughs) Which there is, which there absolutely is the entire concept of a square uh, uh, the entire concept of an argument or the entire concept of an opposition or a war that you have with another person mm-hmm. is what's the end result? Like what is possible out of this because we're currently at odds? Like that's the whole idea. The square itself, that's not the, that's not the meaning. That's not the message. And it opens people up to what I think of as like astrological hypochondria, which is, you know, they're like, Oh, well, I just had an argument. No wonder, you know, I've got the moon (laughs) here right now. And it's like, it's like, no, no, no. Now you're using astrology as a disempowering device. Now you're using astrology as a way of explaining Mm. why life is bad rather than using spiritual bypassing. It's definitely a form of spiritual bypassing because spiritual bypassing, I think a lot of the times we, you know, we've become very familiar with the fact of, you know, repeatedly using love and light for everything is, is borderline, you know, it's just insane a little bit and it's spiritual bypassing, but that's another form of it. Um, over spiritualizing events that are non-spiritual as well as using a spiritual event, which you do believe is a spiritual event as a crutch rather than as some sort of like lesson, you know, if you're, and, and even saying something is a lesson rather than taking accountability for what you did to put yourself in that position is another way of getting into that same place. But yeah, spiritual bypassing is, of course, the, the counterweight that comes with such a massive awakening energy. While you have all these you know, new people that are getting into astrology and, and getting into tarot, getting into intuition, getting into crystals, whatever, you also, of course, then have the, the counterweight, which is uh, tons of surface level understanding um, in tons of misuse. You know, there's a bunch of people that, you know, will be, will, will do uh, horoscopes and essentially 99.9% of the time, it's about how your boyfriend's going to cheat on you. 
Like that's what 99.9% of the horoscopes are saying. He's the one. And they always assume he, because they know it's going to be a female watcher demographically. They know it's going to be a woman watching it. And they're playing on your heartstrings by suggesting, oh yeah, well, based on the astrology, this person, you know, they're going to cheat on you or, you know, this person's a, and it's like, you know, there's nothing balanced about, it's the opposite of Libra. You know, it's not, it's not even the opposite of Libra. I'm not going to put that on Aries, but it's just, um, it's just misusing something sacred. It's misusing the divine, but it's, it's part of the natural process. And that's something that I've had to make peace with. I think a lot of astrologers get really upset when they see um, surface level stuff and when they see it being misused or, you know, charlatans, of course. Um, and I think at the same time, though, you've got to get astrology into the bloodstream of, you know, the collective consciousness right now. It is happening and there's many ways in which it happens. The reality is some of the people misusing it are going to inspire and and um, catch the attention of someone who may have not believed it otherwise. And then that person might, of their own accord, start to actually, you know, get into real astrology. Um, and so it's it's a double-edged sword. And for for myself, I was incredibly angry at meme astrology, I called it, or eye astrology. Yeah. But the reality is it's part of the evolution process. You know, you have uh, three different animals that evolve and, uh, you know, one of them has a particular type of, you know, antler. And then the other two's antlers don't necessarily work, but the species continued, you know, because of a few of the, you know, the ones that weren't working. So, everything you said, Jack's about astrology and meme astrology and all of that, I could exactly say for history. So either there is a Libran approach to history and astrology, or you can, you know, you can say the same thing because, yeah. It's, um, I'm sure it's frustrating for Ray and Geo too, though. Whenever you guys give me a historical topic, it'll be like, you'll say, you'll send something like, look at how Pluto transit Neptune and all, whatever all that stuff is applies to the American revolution, to the civil war, to the same. It's usually the same historical stories that get taken out, got get brought out by like the article that you sent. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And then I, I sit there and I'm like, but it's so much more complex than this. It's not just the civil war. And at the same time, the opium wars are happening in China. And, yeah. you know, like I, I put things in context and, and there's so many more moving pieces that, yeah, right. it, that in history can equally be as useful when you're looking at patterns and thinking about how to operate today. But it's not useful if it just boils down to everything equating, okay, this time, like the, uh, like COVID is like the plague, right? Or um, <laughs> doing those sorts of comparisons and then just saying, yeah, so what? Okay, it's, there's a lot of similarities. What did we learn from the last one and how do we right. apply that today? And, but what's different? And that's always something that that's always in astrology too. So that's what I like about astrology, that every time you compare one of those moments, it's like it's it's visually or mathematically demonstrating to us things never happen exactly the same way, hmm. right? And for some reason, when we look at history, we'll say, oh, you know, history repeats itself because we're not learning one lesson. But it's like similar things sort of start to happen. And, but there are lots of moving parts and we have something, some in some way we can interject in a different way. I don't, you know, what it's, it's yeah. so much more complex. No, so. that, yeah, no, 
And I would just really quickly just wanted to say, it is funny. There's a lot of people that will be like, oh, you know, this war started when Mercury was in Sagittarius. It's like, dude, Mercury is in Sagittarius every year. Like that's not, that's not one of the triggers, but go on, Gio. Yeah. I guess he froze up. I mean, I'll, I, I mean, I had, Uh-oh. of course, my thoughts are always going crazy, but I just, I'm, I'm what you guys both just said. I absolutely, it's what is attractive to me because then, you know, I'm, I've also been always a puzzle person. So when you have these configurations and you're observing and then people generalize things, that's what leads to misunderstandings. And that's what leads to things being skewed in a way, like I mentioned last time is like everything's so skewed in history, not everything, but like it just, it's a common thing because of what we're talking about It's just like telephone is at hand and people tend to just memify it all. And they just mention these real obvious or general aspects. It's like, well, okay. So like you guys are saying, like, what did we learn from it? And then what, like, what was different? So then we can observe it now. How can we compare it? from now to then, so then we can, so, so we can actually do something about it or just catch it before it happens. And then with that, we can, you know, make the right choice, you know, right choice, but more so like make the more efficient and, uh, uh, meaningful choice based on what we learn from the configurations. If you're generalizing things, I mean, sometimes, or a lot of the times, those generalizations can lead to, like you said, oh, this time, uh, the last time Gemini and Uranus happened, right? World War II. Right. So then you tell somebody that or make a meme about it, and it's like, oh, shit, the last time this happened, Hitler and World War, and guess it's going to happen again. And it's like, well, no, 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 no. What's causing yeah. Like, what's What else is in the sky? What's causing it? And I feel yeah, like exactly. CoStar is a perfect example of an app say. Uh, who, what the, it, do, it does that with everyday daily horoscopes. It's just so general that it's actually a turnoff. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, just to me, and I, I've always held my tongue about CoStar and some of these other apps out there that just like, I mean, there's some of these apps out there that I've like known people who like I adored and like, you know, we just had like the best friendship ever. But you pull up like, uh, what's the other one? The design app. Um, and maybe CoStar is one of them as well. But it just basically goes on and on about how we're going to despise each other and how we're just terrible for each other. And I'm just like, you know, by erring on the side of negativity, you can then create drama, which then, of course, creates a dependence upon the app to, to be the solver of the, the problem, solver of the drama. Yeah. And um, and that's something that I see with, with a lot of these different apps. With CoStar, though, um, I have some friends who will send me just screenshots of these little uh, notifications they get throughout the day or, or throughout the week or whatever from CoStar. And I'm just like, uh, that has nothing to do with astrology. At all. I mean, maybe like the per- maybe there's like a disclaimer where the person says like, hey, this is just my channel message or something. And that's fine if that's what they think. But but even then, I would think it was weird. But there's nothing astrology related to some of these notifications that I see. And it, it makes total sense because the reality is, think about having an app that does that, right? That, that performs that service. I'm not talking about one that just pulls up charts. I'm talking about one that, that actually does a lot of diagnostic stuff and, and does that. They're going to be able to show, for example, the meaning of sun in Gemini. They'll be able to show sun in Gemini in second house. But there's a total difference between the combination of sun in second house Gemini when you have uh, north node in Gemini as well versus when you have north node in Aries versus when you have north right. node in Pisces. Plus the outer, like the amount, there's the basically there's infinite, uh, there's infinite patterns. So it's actually impossible to create something that has a satisfactory, uh, you know, basically an honest, 
um, an honest, um, true, true set of meanings. What they can do, what, what is physically possible, they can have just the blanket meanings of like the planet in that sign or the planet in that house. But it's, it's impossible because you, you, when you're looking at someone's chart in particular, um, there's a lot of things that are individual to that person, you know, or that, that were individual for that person. And there hasn't been someone in several hundred years who had even similar placements to them, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And you know, what's awesome is cause I do want to interject, uh, this topic into the astrology conversation because yeah. we didn't do it last time is my, my whole thing with the matrix code and manifestation and all that, like why I'm really emphasizing it still, even to this day, even though that there's like this faded aspect to astrology, but there, the fact that there's free will is that manifestation still also happens. So when people are projecting out a negative outlook on astrology or, or basically just creating this, like they're boiling this pot of bad energy or, or negative outlooks on things. I do really feel like as conscious observers, we're playing a co-creating role. And so when we're playing a co-creating role, it's like, I look at astrology and I'm thinking probabilities. I'm thinking percentages. I'm saying, okay, the energy is this strong. It's most likely going to happen. 80% chance of rain, grab an umbrella. It's probably going to rain, that type of thing. But the fact is, is as conscious observers, we also play a role in creating reality itself too. So it's, it really does like you use astrology to get this overcast, I guess, of, of what the energies are. And as creator beings that we are, we, we, my, in my eyes, you're using it to then learn how to manifest a better life. So it's like, if you understand the chart and the details and not just generalize things and to, especially to your own, or say to the United States chart and stuff, and you do the specifics, the, that, that manifestation quality we all have can play along with astrology. Mm. And so it's something I want to constantly now push out. It's like, hey, don't forget the fact that these Neville Goddards and law of attraction and all that, that stuff still does exist. It does, astrology doesn't discredit the law of attraction. I Not just think that yeah. it's like the universe has a dominant energy at particular points in time, right? So that means then it's like, well, if you're trying to manifest money and you have Pluto, like I do in the second house or, or something like that, it's not a time to manifest money. But so like at that time, if you don't know the astrology, you're trying to manifest something, it's most likely not going to work out the way you want it to because of the probability of energy and all that. And then it won't manifest. And then what does that do to your spirit? And you're, you know, if you're trying to study this stuff and say, Hey, I manifest reality. Well, the astrology was saying that just can't happen because what's going on in your chart and what's going on in the universe right now it's not a good time to try and manifest that. But through the matrix code, we could constantly get reminders and stuff like that. So if you combine astrology, understanding this, the symbolic synchronistic language of the universe, and then just remember the fact that you also co-create reality, I feel like that's like the holy, the holy trinity there on, on creating yeah. a better and, and you know manifesting a better life. You know? Yeah, and I, even... Oh, go on, Jim. So, sorry, I just want to add one thing in there because yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I don't know what happened because like my thing just went down for like a whole minute, mm -hmm. <laughs> but somehow I reconnected. I don't know where it was, but um, mm -hmm. kind of going off that and basically what we were saying before is, you know, I kind of had this thought of, you know, we, we were saying before about not seeing things from just a black and white perspective all the time. Like it's this or that it's positive or negative. It's good or bad. Like we have to remember just 
So even like Anne said too, like the complexities and even with history, it's not like even with astrology and history and all things, it's like there is this complexity and it's the same way of understanding it. And that's why I think it's great looking at the astrology and from an alchemical standpoint and from mm -hmm. the elements as well being like, you don't just have hot or cold. You have the in-betweens. Is it warm? Is it, you know, is it, is it moist? Is it wet? Like you have all these other different um, octaves of it as well. And it's the same thing with uh, the astrology and reading in that sort of sense too, when it comes to certain aspects, it comes to the same way when it comes to um, even, even historical events, you know, we could look mm -hmm. at it from the two sides, the two major um, uh, sides that are, uh, maybe quarreling at that time or anything, or we're seeing it from those perspectives. But we also sometimes uh, get hyper-focused on those things and don't see maybe the introspective of maybe the people who are being affected by the, that quarrel. You know, there is there is a different stance to each thing. And that's where I feel like when you look at astrology, when you look at history in that sense, and, and especially combining it together, like it really does give you a bigger insight on understanding that thing of being like, well, yeah, um, you know, even like what you were saying, Ray, before about uh, it's not that like something may not culminate with you because the star power at that time is just less or something. It's almost like being if you want to take it from a natural and a nature standpoint as well. And the alchemical standpoint, it's like you may be. Uh, in the forest at that time trying to make a fire. But with the humidity level, it may be a little bit more impossible, wind blowing, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it might be harder to start that fire, but it doesn't mean you can't start that fire. You know what I mean? Like the, right. the, the moisture level, the type of wood that you're using, like it's that same process. And I think that that's a main thing when looking at history, when we're looking at symbolism, when we're looking at the astrology, it's like we have to, understand and look at all things and all nature in that way. And I think that's what we're saying, that there is this language of the universe. There is a matrix code that is something that we can have this um, internal way of perceiving it in that sense where we're kind of not separate from it. We are actually, um, it, you know, we're actually evolving with it. And I think when we get that type of intuition and that standing, rather than just being like, oh, well, it's this type of aspect and it's good or it's bad. And, mm. you know, it's because this planet moved this way. It's like, no, it's like, what does, what's the relevance really in for you? And the context. Well, yeah. Like, what's that context? What is, what is the expression of it on that more so of a, uh, natural sense you know what i mean and i think that's sometimes the element that's missing when it comes to these things because we're only looking at um we're only looking at this just Black only white. logical way at stuff like it's like no there is an intuitive side there is a natural side and when you really think about it especially in that sense it becomes very logical mm -hmm. with a lot of the things that we do know what we do know about Yes. And we do know about the sciences in that way. We do know the history and the involvement in certain things in that way. So I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Yeah, man, Jax, you had, I was, yes, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I'm sure, perfect, I, perfect. I, no, yeah, that was great. Um, I was going to say, um, and sometimes it's about, uh, you know, it's about finding another way around, you know, like you have a, a transit going through your second house that, you know, you don't find favorable and you feel is, prohibiting you from, um, you know, from making money, but it's important to look at the other, uh, transits elsewhere in your chart that if empowered 
might in a totally indirect sense lead to that very same thing. Mm. So it's like, you know, so for example, it might not be right for you to, um, to uh, join a new company and to try and like work your way up and do all these different things that you have no passion towards or no connection to. For me, for example, I've got um, Saturn transiting my uh, natal first, but it's also transiting Libra's fifth. So I'm a Libra with Aquarius rising. And so for me, I literally have to do projects that I commit to. Not only do I have to commit to almost everything that I'm doing in some kind of long-term sense, because it's almost always worked out that way, but, um, but I have to actually legitimately feel joy while doing it. If I don't, if I do anything or even attempt to do anything or commit to anything that I'm dispassionate about, everything like hail, you know, hail of rocks falls from the sky to stop me from doing it. And conversely, if I actually just enjoy myself and I'm doing a bunch of passion projects, I'm doing a bunch of things that, you know, are, uh, that, that are in no mechanical way make sense for a second house type of outcome. And at the same time, that's what keeps happening. That's everything continues to prosper and become abundant because I'm doing what it is that I'm passionate about. So it's like, rather than looking at everything through a very, um, through the conventional lens of like, you know, the second house, for example, being the financial house, um, we, uh, you know, we got to, you know, keep in mind the eighth house. We've got to keep in mind, you know, the first and the fifth house and, and all the ways in which when you empower yourself through whatever house is clearly calling for your responsibility right now, it's almost like the universe makes sure that there's some sort of counter, you know, counter right. that comes with that and some sort of um, great blessing that comes with that. And progress charts, I feel, are also left out sometimes, but um, progress charts, it's incredible when you look at differentials between what's happening in the current astrology across your natal chart versus your progress chart. And I know for me, I've always been a serious advocate about using progress chart, like always, you know, to always keep it in mind when running natal astrology. But, um, for me, I, I even I underestimated how powerful it was that almost my entire Libra stellium has moved into Sag now. You know, like I, I and and it's funny, like with just you know Venus goes into Sag, my progressed Venus goes into Sag for like five minutes, and now I've literally got like six different trips planned that I'm like you know going for, and it's like you know, but before that there was the Moon and Mercury, and so there was definitely a conscious awareness, and there was a clarity about what I would need to eventually do. But it's just, it's been almost comical how much the progress chart has taken over my shift and change. And my last, of course, being the progress sun in Scorpio at 26 degrees now. Um, it's, you know, I've got a couple of years left before I'm, you know, a, an official progress Sag. So it's going to be yeah. really interesting. Dude, 1936. 1936? That's what this book's from. And mm. I went on just this moon in cancer. So I think the antique thing in me is like, and then I'm Gemini sad, oh, yeah. you know? So I have this, uh, this yearning to collect these older books. And I, it's funny you brought that up because I was just glancing. That's why I had to grab it and show you like 1936. It might be an older book. There probably is better stuff now, but I have this just because it's like, I just feel like I trust there's been, there's a book called the cosmic science. I think from like the seventies, it's like a real popular astrology book. And I learned so much from, I learned uh, in the uh, the first quarter of that book, learned so much more than these like new age, more like intricate, colorful things. It was just like straight what I wanted to hear. I'm like, this is the way I wanted to hear about astrology. Yeah. And so I've been real into that. And I haven't really gone much into progressed, but I keep hearing from astrologers that it's like that. It's like, you want to know what's going on now in your life. Like transits are, yeah, fine. But for your progress chart, like, 
And let me ask you this. What would make what would be the difference of transits to your natal opposed to what your progress chart's saying? Well, part of it, part of it, I mean, you you literally feel the difference as you're looking, uh, as you're as you're as you look at the the charts, you literally can feel a vast difference. The way I always try and describe it is that your natal chart is not just a snapshot of the planets at at that time. It's a specific list of your, you know, basically your soul compositions, the way that your soul wanted to express itself through these particular archetypes in this particular way. So for me, for example, Libra Stellium, um, that's the way that my natal chart was set, um, you know, Aquarius rising with North Node conjunct my rising in the 12th. And so, um, so there's basically, I was very... Uh, as crystal clear as possible, a Libra. I always will be a Libra. I'm like a, I'm almost like a, a comical embodiment of a stereotypical Libra in a lot of different ways. Like, you know, like, and it's funny because I, of course, talk to people about, oh, you know, you're not just your sun sign. You're, you don't, your behaviors aren't necessarily just like your sun sign. And yet I'm like such a Libra stellium that I, in a lot of ways, behave exactly like, you know, Libra is told to, is, is said to have behaved. Um, but when you look at progress charts and then you suddenly look at the time in my life that I can literally track as a kid, when my progressed son moved into Scorpio and I started becoming a lot less focused on talking to everyone, making jokes all the time and these different things, and suddenly became very comfortable with having alone time and, and like, you know, playing outside just by myself or something like that, you'll, you'll be able to track what, what I think of as like thematic changes. So it's like, I still have the Libra archetype and always will be, and I'll embody it. But at the same time, the progress Scorpio is very clearly what this, the, the story of this last 26 years has really been about for me. Mm. Um, and so when you uh, run the, uh, the current astrology over your natal and progress, you're running it over you, the person, your natal, and then you're running it over the progressed, which is the evolution of the story. Basically, like the, the way in which your story has very clearly evolved. Um, because there's a lot of things that you know, as a, as a kid, I, you know, I was definitely very much leaning into my Leo South node and that, that really stopped happening as, you know, I started to have a lot of squares between my progressed energies and, you know, my Leo South node. So there was like, um, it, it was like a, a call to action. It's, it's almost like the difference between running a transit on a person and then running transits on a metaphor. That's, you know, that's sort of what it feels like when you're running on the progressed. It's a, it's an extra layer of the way that you've evolved and changed as a person. Wow. Mm. So that, then that adds then to anyone who's never heard of it before. It's like, you know, I, this is what I mean about the complexity. Sorry, I'm trying different views here. Um, but, um, uh, the, the complexity of astrology and history itself should tell everybody that it, look, if if something's trying to simplify for you in the beginning, yeah, generally speaking, to get the gist of something, it's great to learn surface level stuff. Here's the Gemini and me talking. But to, to understand something deeply is really the goal in like something like astrology or history, or you're not going to get an honest understanding of it, right? So then if you don't get an honest understanding of it, what's the point? And so it now, nowadays in this current age that we're, you know, a lot in a lot of younger generations, and I even see old people on their phone just, just you know, we're like driving mm-hmm. around the, you know, today I was just driving around seeing this lady just... and. It just seems like the convenience of things has made has made it so hard for people to get deep into this stuff again. And it's going to be our job as podcasters, astrologers, historians to to play the role of pro, or, of trying to sim, playing the, the the medium here of simplifying things enough 
but then relaying to people and get them to see that, hey, you need to look beyond that general co-star nonsense. You need to get off Instagram and stop reading the memes. If you want to understand and make it this something like this useful in your life, you're going to have to get into complexities or it is going to waste your time. You're going to have a lot of disappointments and you're not going to get anywhere with, with any of this stuff. Maybe you get, you know, you, you'll get somewhere with it, but efficiency and seeing real results with all this stuff truly is going to come from seeing the deeper layers of things and, and taking the time out. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic still. And a lot of people with yeah, everything's so shaky with life. It's like, Hey, like something like this, if you're watching this podcast, you're studying astrology, go deeper, get, learn every layer as much as you can. Histories too. Don't just read from one author. Don't go to an article and think, you know, something, you know, it's the problem with this, even this fact checker, uh, the fact checker nonsense is like it, how many sources did that person go to? No sources. And, and, no sources. <laughs> Don't get me started mm-hmm. on the fact checking. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with both. It's the problem. I, I, as you were talking, I was, I've been thinking about this so much lately that really it's not an, it's not just an issue with studying history or astrology. Isn't it the, the issue? It is the issue right now that so many people have looked for easy answers for so long, right? That critical thinking has been de-emphasized and it is not being encouraged. And um, I don't know if, if that's driven by people wanting to have more convenience. Do they want, they want the convenience of an app that just tells them, here's the astrology for the day. And then you can look at a history meme. And then do you consider yourself educated and informed or, why, why does it matter at that point is, you know, it's just, um, but what it does is it makes you easier to, to control, right? It's just like, yeah. okay, here's what we're thinking today, everybody. Now we're all happy because we're together, but then what, but is that, this is what I'm wondering, is that a generational thing? Is it whatever the astrology is of the youngest generation? Did they just want simple, quick, easy things? Well, I would say, I mean, I would say it's kind of like a mixed bag because I actually remember being a kid and I felt very concerned about, because, you know, it had been brought to my attention that um, camera changes on TV shows happen faster and faster all the time. So that, you know, it was, it was like, I mean, it had to have been like early 2000s or late 90s that I was told about this. And I became really concerned, even though I was just a kid, but I was like, yeah, you know, like Citizen Kane had like 15 minute, you know, shots where they would be like still and people, people could like sit and watch that. People could watch a six minute shot where the camera is actually panned in on two people for six minutes. And then, you know, the, the evolution of time, of course, where now it's like a sitcom and it's like flash over here, flash over here, flash over here, flash over here. And so for me, I, you know, I go going into my teenage years, I started to feel like, you know, I feel like it's almost like this, uh, way in which the, you know, the, I don't, you know, I didn't know who was behind it per se, but it feels like we were being trained to be, to have smaller attention spans. And then of course it's very useful because the manipulation of a person when they have a small attention span is like piece of cake. You know, if you're like a really like thoughtful being or like a conglomerate of people. And then, so, um, but the rise of the podcast was an interesting counterexample because, podcasts all of a sudden became incredibly popular a few years back. And it was multi-hour content where people literally would sit there and listen to two people on with one camera shot. You know, there's like one single shot and they'd watch them for hours. And so I felt as though, 
I feel like on one hand, it's like, you know, people do want convenience. People do um, flitter to those faster things. And they'll, of course, keep being created because people will keep paying for them. But at the same time, I don't think that all hope is lost in any way because I definitely see a lot of people just like, you know, people watching this podcast, like they're sitting for multiple hours and just hearing people talk about kind of like what they love the most and, and, you know, the, some of the nuances of their subject. And they may have had no interest or, or, you know, um, uh, previous uh, experience with really going back and looking at history or looking at astrology or, you know, talking about some of these subjects, but maybe, you know, they go on to be uh, incredibly educated on all these different things. So, um, so it's interesting as far as though your question, like, you know, is this astrological? It's like, well, I, I don't think we can ignore, um, you know, Neptune and Aquarius and the, you know, kind of like all of the effects that that really had. Um, and it's very interesting, the indulgence that can happen with Neptune, um, especially with what we experienced and, and such a quick technological advancement. People, you know, the, the interesting thing is that technology isn't just happening for weapon systems. It's happening for weapon systems and entertainment and uh, information and research and for um, the systems that we use to organize things all at the same time. That's what makes it so interesting and odd. And this is like such a unique event, you know, the, the rise of the internet is that um, it's, it's, it's in all parts of our life. And so, you know, it's one thing when it was just, you know, computers that took up the size of an entire room and they were, you know, specifically to, you know, launch a rocket to the moon or whatever um, versus now where it's like, computers literally to probe and penetrate into every single area of life. So it's interesting. I think that's very telling though, of our, um, of our involvement though, when you really look at it, because we are coming from this place of, like we were saying multiple complexities, it is a lot more complex. Like we're not just, um, you know, we're not just referencing one thing or one way of being there's multiple ways of being there's multiple ways of doing things. And there is a constant justification process of which way is a correct way or which way is not, uh, which way goes against the status quo. And it's like, what is the status quo? There's more questioning of these things. So, um, I had a th- I had a thought earlier. Uh, th- there's so much that was like going on at that time, like what we were saying that there was just so many good points. Um, w- with that, uh, it's it's crazy because it's like it's a fleeting thought constantly with this for me. Um, mm-hmm. How we are we we are seeing how the evolvement of things is coming about, right? And we're seeing how we're focusing our attention on um, maybe more so of these things of like, what's going to happen. You know, we're, you know, there is a lot of fear obviously going on. There's a lot of like trying to understand. And like we were saying before is like, we got really adept with the astrology and its relevance with, you know, learning the language of the universe and the energies. And it's like, I think it comes down to the fact that like we have to maybe start transitioning and understanding that that is the involvement. It's that we've always tried to accumulate something so materialistic all the time, or like we've always tried to accumulate wealth in some sort of way. And with the shift, and this is what the astrology and what history is even showing us too, is that the 
evolvement of mankind is that the wealth and the value is not just coming from some sort of old way of thinking of what we know a currency is and what we know wealth is. Like I think now we're coming to a cosmic understanding that the greatest sought after the sought out wealth that we're looking for and currency really actually is information. It's data. And this goes along with this, even what's coming in 2023, 24 with the uh, Pluto and Aquarius. Like we're going into that where I think the most sought out thing, and we don't know on how many different realms that is, is the most sought out thing is information. That's why we're sitting here, multiple people listening to other people talk and converse and everything. It's because we've had the opportunity to accumulate so much uh, stimulation from so many different things that now it's like information, data, processing things. Like that's that's where I'm seeing the the more of the techno uh, technological side of of how humanity is turning with wealth in that way, new ideas, new innovation. Like we're looking to broaden ourselves in that way and finally step into that power. And obviously you have, I also see it too. And I, I know that I could speak for myself experiencing in certain ways, the, the, even going where we are at talking about this and understanding nature and astrology in this way, um, is knowing that you could come into that power of manifestation as well in your life can be a little intimidating in a sort of sense. You know, it's like, it almost wants to be like, you want to like, be like, can I really, can I really get to that point? Can I really reach Mm -hmm. that higher self? It's seeing, seeming more and more possible, but sometimes we get very stuck in our comforts, you know, and, and this could be for any sort of person on any level and any spiritual route or non-spiritual route. Like there can just be, be that fear that plays in, especially um, where we're in a pivotal point in time. I feel like where it's like, are we um, are we standing on the wrong side of history? Are we standing on the wrong side of things? Um, are, are we becoming too outside of ourselves, or are we just kind of becoming reclusive a little bit more and just going inward and and just you know not not we shouldn't or should engage. And this goes back to that whole thing of like understanding these complexities and with going into that, like maybe now. Oh boy. Mm-mm. Oh no. You know, it's funny. He, he uses his hotspot for his internet. There you go. That is- there you go. I, I, mean, was, I'll, I was about I'll- to say, he is so good at standing still. <laughs> like his dramatic pauses are just like. Expert level, <laughs> but I, I, you know what? And well, until he gets back, I can kind of basically. I think what he was trying to get at, and it's the same thing with me, is like understanding that currency is is not only information and data, but it, and it always it always comes down to energy, right? And so, and with the collecting of data and energy and where we're at in history, the like the the wealth he's speaking of is like this is it's so important to just be the awareness of things are more important than say now the physical money like the money itself is losing value right and it's going to shift so in this moment of shifting and we're learning with pluto and aquarius coming and finishing up pluto capricorn is like the structures are going to break down and then coming into pluto aquarius it's like it now has to rebuild and in a completely new way and with technology, right? So as this currency shifts, it's like, well, what is 
the like when where where's wealth going to be if if the currency itself like or the money itself has to die and shift it's like well your awareness your understanding to life your understanding to yourself and then it gives this gives the value now to astrology because the astrology is the language of energy energy information and then knowing thyself knowing then seeing the matrix code of things and knowing how life's going to play out the real currency ends up being that understanding and understanding things and and that data itself and it's funny i don't know if you guys are familiar with robert uh, robert grant you guys know robert grant sounds really familiar um, mathematician uh in, incredible dude i'll have to send you his instagram and anybody listening please go check out robert grant's work uh definitely figures out a lot of the deeper code codings of, of the matrix and all that through just mathematical formulas and stuff and it's amazing it's it's incredible but he had a podcast talking about this where in the near future corporations and and people seeking to gain power and and, and all that they're after your data right so even mm. the individual itself the data of that individual, astrological, financial, what their interests are, it doesn't matter. That's where the wealth is. It's understanding and, and being able to get a broad perspective. And I think astrologers and, and all of that actually have the upper hand because you guys are the data, like you're, you're yeah, deciphering the that's data. That's funny. That's a funny way to put it. Yeah, no, that's yeah. actually, that's a really valid point. Yeah. Did, did um, I get cut? Did I get the cut off before? I just, I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, I yeah. Either. Yeah, oh, you I, did. Yeah. Mid sentence. I was so, I was so frustrated. I didn't even know. I just like kept going with it. But <laughs> the only thing that I just kind of like ended with was the whole fact of being like, and I see you guys continue with it, which is great. Um, is Got just back. The, the, thank you. <laughs> just the whole, like now I think with, now that we've seen, now that we've really, really emphasized this whole language of the universe and the energies and seeing it in that way through even, um, now look at looking at history even in a certain perspective and stop looking at it as the from the victor perspective or the yeah. loser perspective and looking at it from the uh maybe objective middle, yeah the objective way and like and start looking at it from the um middle players and everything now that we're starting to see that type of language in the language of the universe compared with that like maybe now that we can start kind of going where we left off with the last conversation and showing now as we progress more in those times of the 1700s because i know that um a lot of us have found a lot of relevance with um uh, the, you know, more so coming into the Revolution and War times, um, even afterwards, you know, Civil War, or, you know, even Civil War times, even how it connects to 1989 uh, as well, because we did briefly mention that. Um, but like, uh, I'm very curious to see now um, how this is progresses more with this understanding of what we just kind of went real in depth with. Mm hmm. Right. Could I say something? I, want, I would like to add a historical footnote. Oh, yeah. Hit us with <laughs> um, it. And it's what you're here for besides being best buds with us. You're I thought I was just this. here to listen and, and to say yes. No, no, you have to butt in. This is this is like, told you, this is mercurial. Just, just butt start in. Come out and swinging. Jax is there to say, shut up, someone's talking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right. As Gio was talking about this idea of data being currency, right? I think that's one of the aspects of what you mm -hmm. said. Um, since we've been talking about this and today I spent the day just sort of con contemplating all sorts of things and having a very slow, lazy kind of day. And I was thinking, it just kind of hit me all of a sudden, the comparisons, because 
What I like to do is to kind of come up with puzzles of comparing things across time. And when I think about things today um, and how we can figure out how to navigate through the things today that we find challenging, right? Um, I think it's important to look back in the past. If these things do have patterns that sort of repeat, we need to figure out what's happening and kind of zoom back and take a look at it. So I was thinking of this issue of information and I keep throughout this time of, of hearing about the Pluto return and talking about what was happening in the 1770s compared to today. I kept, I'm, I'm just always irritated with, it's not just 1770 because it's, you've got to back up because there's so much, so many mm. developments that happened that got us to that point. And we also focus so much on just the United States, mm-hmm. right? But this is a period of time that is one of increasing global contact back in the 18th century, right? It starts earlier than that in the 16th century, in the 17th century. And it's the era of colonization. And what was valuable at that time was land and the resources, the raw materials, right? You needed to also, you needed to find ways to create goods. So labor was important. Um, Raw materials that you could source, you know, that you could source. The idea was that the state's going to be able to have access to them. And then you bring them back home and then you can make more money off, more money than the other European states, right? Well, so then the, the colonization that was happening was over land and people, right? Controlling the land and controlling access to the land. So today's colonization is colonizing the information, right? It's a, mm, yeah. it's, it's a way, it's an empire of information. And in the, in, you know, the earlier time, the colonization of land and the increase of global trade, which was helping to enrich states back home so that they could fight their wars, so they could compete with each other, right? Um, that, you know, colonization and financing that actually started with private companies, right? Because the state didn't have the apparatus, apparatus to be able to control people or places directly. And so it's, it's, Um, individuals who came together who had a lot of money in 1694 who created the Bank of England because the state in England was bankrupt because they'd been fighting wars against France and the Dutch, right, for for so long that they needed money. So they had to look to private individuals because their government hadn't, hadn't evolved enough yet to get to the point where they could have just said, we need a bank and let's figure out currency, right? Currency evolved out of necessity from where they found themselves. And upon that, and then upon the the people who'd been chartered to go out and create colonies, while America didn't work out for England, India did, right? And there were these companies that went and and um, developed the resources then were taken over by the government, right? So it's almost the same as today where you have billionaires who are able to create the infrastructure and the networks to collect the data, right? I I was watching Russell Brand's latest um, thing today on, 
on information and mm. what they want to do in Australia with the identity app, right? And collecting data on your with your face. That's an example of the government utilizing technology that wasn't developed by the government, right? But that's mm-hmm. coming in where people are are being convinced, oh, this will make my life so much easier just to access my data so quickly. Um, so there's so many things that happen, right? People have to believe they need it. The technology has to have been put in place. Now, also, we have um, a type of currency that we could start trading digitally, right? Uh, all those things are being are put in place. So it's interesting to see how they'll come together um, at, at different levels, because it always turns into sort of a power struggle, right? Where somebody will say, oh, look at all that technology. I can make more money or I can control more people, whatever it is. But I just feel like there's so many comparisons between like the East India Company and British colonization um, and today. The, we're mm-hmm. kind of in this, and, or even look at the Wild West where people were going out for gold. For gold Bitcoin. And- that's literally the exact, It's to me, it's the exact same thing that the they went out to mine the gold and mm-hmm. they were doing it before it became popular. And so it's the same thing with Bitcoin. And it's funny too, because we just went through a little bit of a conversation talking about generalizations, try not to do that. But there is a, there is a, I think that's like just step one, because what you're saying and how you're saying, oh, this repeats, like, yeah, those bigger things are, are, are what you can basically grab onto to say, okay, I'll start here. But then when it comes down to it, the layers continue. And then you see in with that, in that bubble and and frame of of reality and and in time that you're going to, you're going to start seeing those differences though. It's like, Hey, the intention here from the universe was, it might've been the same energy, same thing. Hey, shifting of currencies, the, the government and its power and trying to collect data, but now it has a different face and it has a different way of expressing itself. That's mm-hmm. coming from the, the the having similar transits and bigger, more notable transits, but then with with all the other things, the shifting of the age, where the smaller planets are, where the sun is, the aspects it all it's all playing a different it all there's just in different intentions and a different point of evolution when it comes down to it. But it is there is a place for the generalization of things to then grab on and say, okay, hey, this is where we shifted currency. Hey, this is where there was potential for wars. Hey, this was this was potential where maybe the government took it took a hold of a lot of rights and, and, and changed things. And there was a battle between the people and the government and all that. And I'm guessing with the Pluto Aquarius that had happened, and when, when you're talking about there, there was a struggle, obviously, between the people and the government, but was expressed completely different, right? When was the Pluto Aquarius? Uh, I uh, actually, in the 1780s, early 1780s, you mean? Yeah, are you talking about that time period or are you yeah. talking about the yes. previous one? Okay. Yeah. That was well, when was the previous one, Jax? What was the previous uh, one? We have, uh, I think it was 1780 or 81. Let me check. Um, Yeah, here we go. So 17, let me go back to 1775. Uh, I think I have 96, 77. Or maybe that was when it 1792? Left. I thought it was like 84. Uh, so 1779, okay. uh, it enters. Oh, it does enter and then leave. I think 1780 was when it entered and then stayed. Mm. And then what about the cycle before that one? Um, cycle before that one. I guess I could figure out mathematically, but it's. I was about to say. 
What am I, chop liver? Yeah, and you know what? As I'm I'm looking at it, it, it says because and I can get some of these notes up in a little bit. It, it's first visit to the water bearer's domain since 1778 and 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 98. It was a 20 year period of explosive growth for both the industrial revolution and the age of enlightenment. I don't have the actual ingress. I think 1533. 78 and then 15. So that's right. right. That makes sense. I should know. I knew that already. Um, I forgot about that, but yeah, so that's, yeah, it's interesting. So that's why it connects back to things that were happening during the reformation and changes to the Mm. church, which was really the institution that had uh, so much control, not necessarily direct control, but mental control over people's policing of themselves. Right. Or, um, keeping society in order. So to me, what's interesting about right now, because I never like to just tell the story of, um, okay, well, this is going to be like the American revolution and we're all going to change to something totally different, but we don't know what that is, whatever, you know, I feel like, I think I mentioned this before. It feels like we're progressively getting to a place where people end up with more power, where power is more dispersed but it always seems like somebody is uh, someone who's losing power really clamps down, right? Which we could see during the American Revolution. Um, and really, most society didn't even know what was going on, kind of, right? But there are certain people who had more money and they wanted to keep their money and they didn't want to be controlled by the, gov- the government that was across the sea or they wanted to have their own businesses here, um, right. So it was kind of about the sovereignty of a new class of mostly men at that point, like a rising a middle class that had risen. So but that was a that was a step in giving even more power to people. Right. So now I feel like it's it should be. And then the Civil War was getting rid of a I don't know what happened in the 1860s. Exactly. I think it has to do with it's not Pluto. Right. But it's well, Pluto would have been in Taurus trining uh, Pluto's south node in Capricorn. Mm-hmm. So there was definitely a really, really harmonious Pluto to Pluto energy between um, the Civil War and the American Revolution. Mm. Mm. Right. So there you see another step in the evolution of power and, and it's focused on labor and the fact that you should not be able to consider people property. And I always wonder where women's suffrage fits in this too, because then there's a, gl- a global women's suffrage movement that happens in the early um, 20th century. Right. And then it, it just feels like we get more and more, um, we keep broad- broadening the ability of each of us to, em- to be empowered within our own, within ourselves. Yeah, no, I, I complete. I love the 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 way that you just said that, and I mean, it's part of why my interpretation of Pluto isn't uh, isn't isn't positive in Capricorn in the sense that it's like all you know delightful and, and feels like roses and everything, but at the same time, like the recognition that you know, if you go back to the American Revolution and you look at you know 1775 through 1783. And you look at the transit of Pluto um, transiting its own south node and then transiting into uh, Aquarius um, and what they experience. We, we need to understand that we're kind of experiencing a lot of that right now ourselves as far as the collective soul. Um, you know, that's that's part of what we're experiencing in that cycle. And so the sovereign individual 
building for themselves through through the Capricorn archetype a system of sovereignty that upholds said sovereignty um, by itself that creation's positive and wonderful and there's a lot of beautiful things that come from it and, and at the same time you know and we were talking about this before the podcast started I was like then people have children and grandchildren and you know those grandchildren have children and the thing is uh, the people who fought for and were there for the formation of uh, systems of sovereignty uh, might sometimes assume or project onto their children and grandchildren, oh, they'll just get it too. Like they'll understand as well, obviously, like this is so perfect, but not necessarily. And there's, of course, genuine parts of that where they, uh, the children and grandchildren recognize change, changes need to be made. But I love what you brought up about you know the, the reformation and um, uh, part of what I see coming, which is uh, America's Pluto return, which is going to be in Capricorn in the second house. A lot of people are like, you know, I'm picking up uh, secession, you know, literal secession, like actually mm-hmm. having Texas um, uh, in uh, several other states actually secede from the union. And for me, I was looking at it in more of a metaphorical way. And then you had brought up and uh, data being, you know, the new frontier. And then you had even um, Ray talked about Bitcoin being the next gold rush. The, the, what I've been feeling for a long time is that, you know, February of 2022, the, this America's Pluto return, this is going to be cryptocurrency being a way in which people uh, uh, secede economically. You know, like we we don't consider it as, a, as an option to not use the U.S. dollar. What are you, crazy? However, that's becoming an option more and more realistically. And I believe that there are several events that are going to kickstart in February of 2022 that are going to make it very available, widely available to a lot of people to start spending with crypto, to start using different cryptocurrencies, to start obviously creating their own. You can do that right now. But um, but even with all that it was talked about since the sort of kickoff, December 21st of 2020 and the age of Aquarius and, and all of this, you know, uh, cryptocurrency being part of the common dialogue all of a sudden, um, this event and this series of events is going to kick off in February of 2022. I think it's the economic secession. And I think that it's where, you know, you don't just look at, oh no, you know, the dollar is inflating. We're all screwed. It's like there, there's alternatives now, which means that at the same time, you also then have other people who are held accountable if they don't fix something themselves, you know, because like if, if you're taking your own economic freedom for yourself and you're taking charge of your destiny in that way, then it doesn't matter what, you know, what happens it, to the degree that, you know, of course it will obviously have a lot of indirect effects on you, but, um, but that, but that people will not be burdened in that way. And I think that, you know, you had, we'd also mentioned about how, you know, data is essentially, you know, uh, uh, people's attention and people's data is the most valuable thing possible. And I think that's, um, that's a big part of it. I think mm-hmm. it's a big part of this uh, Pluto return. If, if I can interject, because I'm seeing a crazy, well, I mean, you know, to I, I'm fascinated by this because we're talking about the data. We're talking about the information. We're talking about this Pluto transit as well throughout history that we're seeing even with the Revolutionary War. And we're seeing how it went back to what was the date that you said for the 1500s again? Uh, 1533. Okay, 1533. So one thing I'm seeing that there's a common pattern is this thing about the uh, the printing press, 
right? The printing press, if we think about it, like in order to kind of have this um, and and back me up if, if I'm wrong or right. And um, even during leading up to the Revolutionary War, everything that was going on with King George III, like everything that was uh, going on with this new standing stance on freedom and uh, as, as far as maybe more so of like taking it into their own governing bodies, um, uh, you know, a lot of this was reaching people through the um, through the involvement of the printing press and releasing certain uh, uh, certain writings uh, for the people as well. Um, and that was really utilized, I think, during that era. But also in the same sense, uh, now I'm also seeing it too back to during those times of the 1500s as well, where even textual criticism came into play, especially going on during, uh, you know, pre-Reformation as well of, you know, this whole thing of trying to, um, and it kind of reminds me of modern day fact-checking, you know, mm. like this whole textual criticism thing, the <laughs> press, and it goes back once again to this whole information, data processing, you know, how are we outreaching to people? How are they... Um, uh, receiving the information, you know, how are they going to act upon the information that's going to be a determination about how uh, the rest of the trajectory of society goes in this type of way. And I think that's what's the crazy thing is like we're seeing that we in that in that Pluto transit, even from the 1500s, you know, even with the culmination of because 1535, I mean, we're talking five years before the Council of Trent as well. Um, where the Jesuit order really starts to come into play as well. And they took a big number on trying to uh, instill their Jesuit order and their Jesuit priest into institutions and have that type of indoctr uh, indoctrination effect mm. as well. So it's like we're seeing that that precursor for that then we're seeing that as well as far as even the lead up to the revolutionary war of what type of things were uh printed in reference to whether they were you know more so continental type people considered insurgents or we're talking about even um uh you know if you're loyalist like it's it's the news basically it's, it's the news. It's yeah. what's being said. What's the word on the street? Mm -hmm. What's going on? And it's like that whole thing played a big role and sometimes may be overlooked in all three of the situations. Then, right. I was, 1500s, I, I want to specifically say something while you're on that point that um, it isn't just the printing press. I, I like how you kind of uh, narrowed it down to how the, I guess, the media, the mm -hmm. oops, I'm sorry, my dogs are going to fart. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sorry. Like dogs. <laughs> um, all right. So it's it's really the development of different types of media throughout and the way that that the use of that media was changed or or who was using the media. Um because during that time, so like you have 1517, Martin Luther can uh, print his 95 theses, which are his protests against the church, and then that can be distributed. But by the 1530s in England, for example, you've got like an official Bible that's being printed by the king. You've got prayer books that are coming out, or I mean, actually it's past the time when that first Bible came out, but now you are starting to regulate what church services are going to be like from every 
for everybody. The Church of England as an institution can print that and try to get everyone on the same page. Something like the Council of Trent, which comes a little bit later, they make Catholic practice and ritual more uniform, and they can be printing um, homilies that will, in books of homilies, that will be, they were designed to be given all around the Catholic world, whether you were in Canada or France, you would hear the same homily on the same day at the same time, because it's being uniformly printed out there. But by the time you get to the American Revolution era, right coming up before that, or if we even went to like the English Civil War, propaganda was being printed for all sides. Um, when the government relaxed its um, its uh, enforcement and censorship of printed materials, which were very cheap and widely available, you saw these periods of time where all kinds of information was all of a sudden out there. And right before the American Revolution, newspapers had really developed. And so news could come back and forth uh, um, across the ocean and you could hear about what was happening all around the world. I mean, when you think about Benjamin Franklin, who's so influential, what was he? He was a printer, right? And he had a newspaper and he was printing those almanacs. Um, so print is essential. And I think today we're seeing something very similar in, right? You can look at the mainstream media and think, oh, the mainstream media is so corrupt or may, not that we all think that. I mean, maybe we don't, <laughs> but you could have that view. But at the same time, look at you've got, you have the ability to do this podcast, look at YouTube, look at all the information that's out there. Multiple right. Perspectives. So, yeah. And it's funny because it's like those multiple perspectives are out there. And I was just thinking about this the other day, the other day, especially when it comes to podcast and all the different types of content that's out there besides just normal news media. Like when we think about it more so in a longer time down the road, like I'm talking long, like think about podcasting or YouTube videos in a sense of like, almost like an ancient artifact. Imagine, imagine that being a certain way of understanding they'll in the future, they'll have a, a, I would like to think a deeper understanding, you know, if that data is kept, if it's preserved and it's held, you know, how do we look at it still to this day? We look at different pottery. We look at different artifacts in that way, scribings on the wall and trying to root back certain languages as well. I think at that point, it's like, you know, we talked about in the last uh, uh, conversation about skewing information, skewing history. I think that becomes a lot more difficult over time in a sort of sense. I mean, unless you can just wipe it clean. I'm sure there's going to, of course, there's going to be a lot. And maybe that's where also we're seeing that play out once again, just in a different octave of mm -hmm. trying to wipe out the information by just stopping it where it starts. You know, mm -hmm. that's where Uranus Gemini comes in. Yeah. It, but like, you know what's so interesting about that? When you said Uranus Gemini also, it reminds me of what I've always thought so weird as a historian is why in the world did the Third Reich keep all of the records of everything they did? So it's almost like you would think, mm. Geo, they'd wipe everything clean, right? Like if somebody took over and wanted to get rid of all the dissenting voices, that they just wipe it clean. But it's like they like to keep things like trophies or it's like yeah, well, they thought they were they thought they were going to be the winners, so they were like, "This is just bookkeeping. This is like you know, right? Like, yeah, you, like yeah. for them, it was you know, it's records. 
Mm-hmm. I also have another perspective on that though, but I think also maybe for, I mean, maybe not like so consciously they thought about it in this way, but maybe subconsciously it could have been the fact of like, if they know, like basically anybody looking at it in the future, if they know the details better, if they understand, maybe they'll see the intention behind the cause. I'm not trying to Jesus. justify yeah, that would I'm be not insane. trying to justify it. No, I hear you saying. But like mm-hmm. that could be the case of being like they like almost wanting to push the truth of some sort of way. I mean, we still see it nowadays where a lot of people say, well, well, hold on. Let's also look about that time as well. When it comes to um, I had I had a good friend of mine and it was actually the same friend that I was saying that was in the band scene uh, that I that's how I knew Ray. He was my best friend at the time. And he came from Italian-American and straight Austrian-German descent. Um, he had a grandfather who was um, actually enlisted in the Hitler Youth, um, and his other uncle, or who he, he considered his uncle, uh, fought on the American side in you know World War II. And um, one thing that was constantly said from his grandparents during that time, being native-born Austrian Germans, was the fact of their economy, the economy of how dwindling it was um and how poor stricken they were for no reason it felt like almost to them and it had a lot to do with certain migrations that were going on at the time it had a lot to do with certain um uh, uh migrations into the the neighborhoods of the acceptance of certain types of people during the neighborhoods where um these migrants kind of created their own little unions and based around their um, commerce and their circles, um, kind of strictly for themselves, you know, in, in a way of being like, you know, the, the Jewish people only kind of, uh, commerced in a certain way, you know what I mean? Like they kind of like congregated in their own sort of way, um, that somehow in effect did hurt the economy, uh, the economy of, of of the German people and the Germans of that time. Um, and I think that that's how Hitler also played a part on the um, played on the played on the emotions of the German people. You know what I mean? He kind of gaslit them in a sort of way of being like, it's them. They kind of took it from you. They're the ones who are not participating in our way in our natural way of doing things that we've done all this long away. And then of course he went extreme with the Aryan race and all, all of this stuff. But like there was a certain vulnerability that he also was playing on that was in a sort of sense factual at the time too. I mean, it was, the thing is that that was able to happen and he was able to play on this stereotypical perspective because, um, well, there was a lot of anger about what had happened after world war one, but also Mm -hmm. it was not focusing. Like he turned everyone's focus onto the reality right then and we are in this bad situation and look there's these people right here who we can blame yes and there was no emphasis on why are those the people we're blaming why are those people living in a in that particular part of the city why do they have the jobs as money lenders and all of the things that were being criticized or what Mm -hmm. right like it there was a huge a long long history of constantly being oppressed that led them into that place. Right. 
every single thing that he was criticizing them for was a fact that came about because of history. Mm-hmm. And when people mm-hmm. don't know their the history or when certain history is not taught or when you're being gaslit to believe certain things about certain groups of people and no one allows you to ask questions, that's the kind of thing that that can happen. And I mean, I know people, there are people who say, oh, don't compare it to, I'm not comparing anything to the Holocaust. (laughs) I'm talking about the history of how the third Reich came into power. Mm -hmm. And it was that a long history building on all kinds of prejudice and institutional realities and, Mm -hmm. and legal changes that happened. It was a very long history. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it, was, it was a culmination. It was a culmination mm-hmm. of, of different ideas when you think about it, because it was like the emergence of even, you know, Hitler's ideal into going into it. And that's why he aligned with the socialist, uh, the National Socialist Party as well. Like, so it's not just one or different thing. He was very influenced by Mussolini and, you know, fascism, which it's like almost one in the same thing, in, in my opinion, as well. Like, but um, yeah, like that's the thing. It's it almost reflects the modern day gaslighting and push. I think um, that we see when it comes to the constant push to divide each other once again with with some sort of racial issue and oppression and redlining communities and and who knows? Maybe it's inverted in a sort of way. I'm not making that direct. To, comparison it might be inverted in a sort of way but it's once again it's that essence that's there once yeah again. yeah it's we, the black and white absolutely, look at it, absolutely. black and white that, that mm-hmm. black and white is, is gonna make it to where people are like don't compare that it's like no 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 there's an essence to it so it was a good way to put it yeah but we have the ability to observe it in deeper senses in that way because of the history, because of uh, of deeper understanding on psychological issues and the metaphysics as well. Yes, maybe certain metaphysics aren't as mainstream. Maybe astrology still isn't as mainstream. Yes, it is mainstream in a way, but are we using it to the ability of our development in in an evolving type of way all the time? No, not everything. You have my point before types of astrologers. Yes. So it's like, that's even the whole point of, I mean, that's one thing that really drives me and it has come to drive me in a lot of these topics and understanding the code and the matrix and seeing the synchronicities of everything playing together. And, and, and that's where it's like, that's that's why it's always been my big thing. And like, that's why I was so influenced even by Anne too, was like, don't sleep on the history. You know what I mean? I saw what yeah. Anne was doing too. It was like, don't sleep on the history. Like this will help you when looking at these types of things metaphysically as well, or alchemically in a hermetic way, whatever it may be. Right. And while we can prevent repeating the history, or at least the way it was, by not only understanding the history, not only understanding the astrology, but understanding we are also creator beings. Like there's so many layers to this where it's like, okay, the astrology says this, so this might happen. It's like, well, where do we interject our energy and our focus of of conscious creation? And then we're recreating the thing that happened the last time, not only through, say, just the astrological energies, but we're perpetuating the fact that 
while we went through this cycle the last time, we created that as a as a collective, and then but we also co-created that as a as a collective with the universe itself. How did we utilize the energies? So and, and it's like a reminder. I'm going to instill in our listeners and whoever I talk to is like, okay, historical data needed, astrological data needed, but also what were we thinking and what were we what were we flavoring that era of time uh, with those two things, with our conscious creative energy? What were we manifesting as well? Because then when these transits come back up and we understand not only are the transits, ca- uh, you know, have like a causal effect on these things repeating, but the fact that human beings being creative beings observing these energies and then creating them a certain way, because then it empowers us in a certain fashion to say, hey, we are co-creating with the universe. Here's the energies. It's like, it's like almost like, Hey, here's a, here's a coloring book. Here's a a page to color. And here's the crayons that you have to use. Right. And it's like, are you going to color inside the lines? Are you going to, are you just going to do the same old thing? Just, 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 are you going to try and be creative and take the same colors and the same picture and then now create something completely different, maybe even draw new things on the page before you even color it in. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's it's so important to remember the fact that we co-create, and that's why when I sent you guys that playlist about the screen or or the um the pendulums, right, and, and the fact of like and and you had said you had mentioned you liked the whole concentric circle idea, and so in my eyes, if you take that graph, right, uh, and you and you see the fact that there's this screen, this reality screen, this matrix cinema that plays out and we're experiencing it, but not only are we the watcher, right. And we're observing it, but we're also the director, the screenwriter and all that other stuff. And we're co-creating that with reality itself. So it's like I, in the astrological world, and we mentioned this before is that people tend to use it sometimes as an excuse to then say, well, this is the transits happening. So this Mm -hmm. is what's going to happen. You know what I mean? But if you empower yourself and realize Oh no! Wait, these are the tools given by the universe and the energies and circumstances. How do I color it in in a, in a different way to when now it evolves? Right. So it, it it ties it all in. It's like so if you see the history, you see the transits, and then understand that you create reality too, and we co-create reality. So if you have a collective of us focusing in one direction we're most likely going to perpetuate the manifestation of it. Well, there you go. You have you have the toolbox. So let me let me see the energies of the universe. Let me see. And that's the happened. opportunity. Yeah. That's right. the opportunity exactly. provided by Pluto transiting its own south node. Mm-hmm. We have the opportunity to, to instead of repeating the past, to be able to extract the lessons we need from the past and create a much better system in the future. Right. And Pluto Aquarius just feels like it's going to be such a beautiful manifestation of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad that's you brought what... that up too. I was going to bring up real quick, just as like a, a, um, a, a, a so we can, cause I, I wanted to hit before the end of the, the talk, right. The three real main aspects or the three main planets of the Uranus transit, the Neptune transit and the Pluto transit. Right. So I actually ended up for, for all of us, so we could, we could kind of stick to maybe go down the list of like, Hey, what was most important with these transits and the effect that they were having? And then where are they repeating? So then now we can turn to the solution opposed to the, you know, focusing on, focusing on the, (laughs) the same thing happening in the cycle again. You know what I mean? So this is what I grabbed because I tried to mix and mesh the astrology and then also things with the history, right? So uh, the way this was from the Astro twins, uh, twins, by the way, so I'll shout them out on this one. 
But so we have the revolution 2.0, right? And then we have Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto returning to key positions, which were all pivotal points in American history. And like we're saying, it's echoing watershed events of our, our past, including the founding of this. So it's like, so where can we see the fact that it's, you know, what's the most important points of each transit, say, uh, of let's say Uranus from going from Taurus to Gemini or, or Pluto going into Aquarius, where are we seeing that energy and what can we do about it? You know what I mean? And Jax, you being the astrologer, what, what, what do you see most significant in the astrology to where you see, Hey, look, I think this really has a dominant energy. I know all three do, but what comes to mind first? Um, yeah, I mean, one of the one of the biggest uh, you know things that obviously is not a coincidence is just the amount of uh, shifts that we experience from Earth into air. You know, from Pluto, Pluto, or sorry, uh, Neptune and Virgo into Le- Neptune and Libra. Um, the experience that we had of um, uh, Pluto in Capricorn into Pluto in Aquarius, um, Uranus from in Taurus into Uranus in Gemini. So the part of the part of the intensity of that is, you know, when you enter the earth, you uh, enter a place of creation where things are actually manifesting into the physical, where things are literally happening. And uh, when you then move into the air, there's like ideological application. So a lot of different people apply it in a lot of different ways. But I mean, just take, for example, the Uranus, uh, Uranus and Gemini were about to have and what we think, you know, what we can kind of project for what do we think that that's going to be like. And then, of course, thinking back to Uranus Gemini uh, back in the creation of this country. So when you look at Uranus Gemini, you spend a long time uh, going back over the, uh, over the previous years um, about what it is that exactly uh, just occurred. And it's being able to do so from several different points of view. You had said earlier, you know, kind of jokingly, like, yeah, I'm touching on these different things, you know, I'm Gemini here. Um, <laughs> the thing is, uh, Uranus Gemini literally is go- uh, Gemini's magic power is classification. So Ge- a Gemini will hear a philosophy from a Buddhist and they'll hear a philosophy from a Christian, they'll hear a philosophy from an atheist, <laughs> and then they'll just like, uh, sort of create the the amalgam classification, and then Gemini says, "I think that it works this way," and so they give their own spin on it. Right? They're willing to to just put their own spin Sounds on like, an ancient <laughs> philosophy, right? Right, right? And so, so there's a kind of an audacity to it, but there's also a brilliance to it because when you have a room full of Gemini's, when you have Uranus Gemini and the collective, uh, the you know the collective thought is in Gemini, then everyone's going to be talking about what they thought just happened. And one of, to me, the biggest thing is it's uh, 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 taking inventory. And taking inventory, uh, when, we, when we are about to experience Uranus Gemini, we're going to take inventory of all these things that have happened over the past five, six years, and over the, what, what's about to happen over the next three years, right? So it's like, there's, or sorry, the next five years. There's a lot that's, that's still going to happen here. But Uranus Gemini is going to try and gain agreement and reach an understanding of what actually happened. So a lot of this stuff that we saw, for example, you see um, something that is positive, like a positive movement, such as like the Me Too movement in its original context, like a very positive movement. And then you see all of the different manifestations that happen from that, and then it's left behind. Now no one's talking about it, right? What, like what, did, did we fix it? Did we fix all sexual inappropriate connections in our workplace? I don't think with it, it's fixed. But the thing is, it started off with what what seemed like a really positive intention, which is justice. 
And then it sort of um, it started to devolve because of all the different people that tried to commandeer it for different things. And, you know, they tried to essentially make it like a, an ideology in itself and, um, you know, about women and men in general. And then people, you know, told lies and different things. And then it got left behind. No one says hashtag me. I mean, I'm sure there's still some people out there using that, but it's not a collective conversation anymore. It's done. Well, in Uranus Gemini, we're going to be going back over some of these conversations that happened with Uranus Aries and Uranus Taurus. Um, we're going to be going over the conversation about men and women. We're going to be going over conversations about gender. We're going to be going over the fact that this is not a country where all white people and black people are in this endless war with each other. That's not the actual truth. What's literally happened, and it's been proven multiple times, is that social media will literally present and project information about these two types of people fighting each other, um, and they'll bring it to the surface, which creates the illusion that we, the American people, see that this type of fight is constantly occurring. It's all that happens. Because if that's the case, they can convince um, you know, people of one ethnicity to despise another, and they can convince the other ethnicity to uh, resent the other ethnicity for for uh, be despising them. Right? So it's it's psych driving. It's it's training the mind. So Uranus Gemini, you get a level of objectivity, and with Pluto Aquarius, we're going to get a level of objectivity. And the the objectivity that comes from you know moving from Earth into air is going to be really interesting where we're suddenly speaking factually about things that we refused to do so back in the time, or at least a lot of people did. They got swept up in the emotion of it. They got swept up in the power. They got swept up in the opportunities for, for ways that they could commandeer something or make a quick buck off of it. And uh, and I think that's one of the biggest things that happens with Uranus Gemini that we're about to experience. But then, you know, go back in time and think of everything that they experienced during that war and during the founding of America. And think of all the things that they would have had to gain agreement on because it once again it's it, there's a level of audacity to to build a system like America and say like oh we're just going to do it differently than all previous people before we're going to like you know just reject these different types of um, powers and influences and we're just not going to carry that over and it's a it's a wonderful goal but at the same time it's like it's 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 absolutely insane and so you look at Pluto's transit into Aquarius and you look at how the collective soul then begins to evolve into a place of liberation, freedom, uh, independent power, and as Anne was saying, like sovereign power. Um, and, and we experience that. I think that that is incredibly important. And then with Neptune, there's, of course, like a spiritual aspect to this. Neptune in Virgo into Neptune Libra, you know, it's, a, it's an entirely different way of conceptualizing what it is that you get to think about, what it is you get to dream about, what it is you get to participate in spiritually, you know? There's a spiritual freedom uh, where, and, and a spiritual sampling, of course, with Neptune Libra, where you're going around trying a bunch of stuff. You know, you like meet someone that comes from another culture rather than the one that you all came from on the same boat or whatever. You know, you meet someone from another culture, you um, learn about their spirituality, and then you start having all of these Libra, you know, marriages of different ideas, especially ideas of the collective consciousness and uh, the ideas of oh, wait a minute, this, these people also believe in God and the same Christian God that I do, but they believe in uh, these totally different uh, ways of getting there, these totally different beliefs around it. Um, and so these are some of the things we're going to experience, which in a way sounds so um, so sort of dewy-eyed and like um, naive and, and like positive and all this stuff. 
But the thing is, like, that's what was experienced back then amid all of the tumultuous turmoil and the blood and sweat that comes from, you know, these wars and these foundings and, and these rebellions. And so what we're about to experience is a giant opportunity where, inst- you know, we're not finding out about new countries for the first time or anything like that. At the same time, we're going to be experiencing each other in totally new ways. And we're going to be having some of these conversations. One thing that I've thought is really interesting and I think is going to become enormous here in the future is that you you hear all that, like you'll hear on social media or something, people that are from another country and then they, they just sort of like comment like, oh yeah, in our country, we wonder what you guys are up to when you're you know going through this type of crisis or this type of problem. It's interesting that the conversation isn't actually happening there. It's happening from a place of like observing from a distance because we're all in this place of like really deep separation right now, or at least the illusion of that separation. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's a lot of actual conversations that will be happening with Uranus Gemini where, um, you know, people from Venezuela and people from Australia and people from America are all, you know, of course, you know, we have the digital power to do that right now, but they're all talking together about what happened across the world versus our own narratives of what we're saying happens across the world. Um, because, you know, what an American knows about what's going on in Australia versus what an Australian, you know, Australian knows is going on in their country is, uh, is two entirely different things. You know, so I, I just feel like there is a massive accounting that happens. And because um, the the air energy is, is going to be conversational and it is not going to be just conversational about going forward and about innovation. There's going to be a lot of that. It's going to be one of the like this is about to be a, an incredible technological boom that we're about to experience. But think back to the you know 1770s and 1780s as we were watching some of these shifts and what happened technologically for them and what they experienced and, and what uh, the amount of technological evolution. And we're about to experience a part of that. We're about to experience Uranus and Pluto. And this time we're going to have Neptune entering the fire. We're going to have it entering Aries, you know, when Uranus is entering Gemini for us. And so um, it is, it's really interesting. And it, to me, it comes back to the entire idea of um, data is, uh, is wealth. Well, attention is for sure wealth as well. Digital attention. So where the views go, there's money, right? So uh, Neptune and Aries is going to be a really interesting time period um, because uh, the the persona being a career is something that all, we already considered in existence. And it's not even technically considered that new anymore. But when it becomes, I mean, I feel it's becoming mainstreamed. And of course, it's through the use of um, digital technologies. It's going to be really interesting to witness this. You know, we you had talked earlier about, um, you know, people watching news organizations less. And I've been thinking about this a lot, about the the sort of cannibalization of views that, that happen. You know, it's there's obviously crossovers where John Example listens to this podcast and he listens to the Joe Rogan podcast and he listens to, you know, it's a true crime podcast or whatever. Um, so he listens to three different things. But at the same time, there's not all crossover, which means rather than, you know, uh, millions upon millions of people all just tuning into the news, um, it's being spread out further and further as more people become, you know, I don't even want to say influencers, but podcasters as they become, you know, personalities online. Uh, it'll be to the point where it's like the news channel is relatively equal to all people that are considered, you know, podcaster or celebrity. Um, and so the equalization that happens with Pluto Aquarius, I think is something that 
is going to be one of the one of the most interesting parts of that. Beautifully said. And I was going to say too, and real quick, I'll let you get in. But Mm -hmm. so I could see the coagulation of so you're you're mentioning Uranus Gemini, right? And as we're seeing on the screen, is like you know, and coming out of Taurus, by the way, of like the the whole shifting of values and everything, and it's like that gets changed. But then we we come into what you're talking about on, on on how we communicate and what we actually siphon through and use that Gemini energy to then say, hey, like we're gonna take a bunch of different views, whether it's a podcast, the news, your friend, you know, a guy down the cul-de-sac, it doesn't matter. You're, you're just seeing it from multiple perspectives and re and analyzing it to then class reclassify it. Right. But, yeah. And so that's, that's coagulating with the fact that, you know, I, I heard you mention a bunch of times about that Uranus energy changing all of that, but then the undertone or overtone of Pluto Aquarius and not only are we talking to people in different countries and they're wondering what we're doing and whatever, and it's like this illusion of separation, that's actually playing along in the story of the universe. It's playing along in the story of the sky of where that's going to build that Aquarian thing of of community and not only community, but then it's going to lead to increase of technology. So like, it's like whatever Pluto Aquarius is doing, you could see the benefit and you could see how it's talking with the Uranus Gemini just on those mundane levels. Of, yeah. Oh, yeah. The way we're going to talk and communicate and what information gets shared and how we do this and how that, but then the Pluto Aquarius comes in and say, well, okay, but we're also going to change the technology. We're going to build new communities. We're going to do all that. And I don't know much about say the Neptune Aries, uh, much yet. And we could eventually, I would love to do a, do a talk on that too. If you but, think, yeah, that's its own talk, but if you think spirituality is popular right now, wait for Neptune Aries. Oh God. It, yes. pe- people, people posting their gym selfies, like think about that, but spiritually and all like people already kind of do that, but imagine it to uh, an even deeper degree. Like, um, and oh God, I, I almost want to open a can of worms about Neptune Aries and about, um, uh, the validation of the spirituality during the age of Aquarius, but it almost might be like, it's, it's going to go to, it's going to go too long to open that up but in a, in a very small nutshell though, basically Think about how meditation was legitimized by science, and then like we don't we don't address the fact that it was legitimized. That you thought of it as a spiritual act to meditate, like those silly hippies and those Buddhists. Like what the hell are they doing? But yeah. now there's like you know obviously a lot of research about, and so now it's like basically recommended. Now it's like recommended by an atheist who believes you know in none of the spiritual stuff, and it's recommended by people who don't have a spiritual stake in meditation that legitimization is going to be happening so much in spirituality um, with all with Uranus Gemini as well as Pluto Aqua and it's going to be happening in the age of Aquarius it's I'm telling you it's in a longer term sense this is not immediate sadly but astrology is going to be legitimized and several other things will be too and Neptune Aries is going to be a uh, place where a lot of people are sh- are wearing their spirituality on their sleeve as a personality and you kind of will already see that on a platform like TikTok. You you already sort of do see that. Oh, People yeah. whose sort of persona is the fact that they're Wiccan or whatever. Um, and so it's really, really interesting. But there's more to that. And I Can brought I jump up... in on... Oh, oh yeah, yeah, jump in. You go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't heard you. All right. So on. not only will those things be legitimized, right? But now I have to come in and say, and then you will have like some larger organization Bingo. Come in and use those things to leverage for their 
power and control. And so here, so what I'm, and of course that doesn't mean we're going to all be taken over because that's always just one component that gets put in. Then we continue and we do an end run around that. We do something else or whatever. Right. I never, I don't believe in just top down total control Mm -hmm. because even in East Germany, there were ways around that during the, the police state there. But, um, so what I keep thinking about is the metaverse. Uh, as I was playing Beat Saber last night using my Oculus, and I was in my virtual lounge afterwards, and then I saw Zuckerberg up there with his little thing about the metaverse. I didn't, I mean, I didn't watch it in VR, but I thought interesting. So this is another really wonderful community building place where we can all gather and meet in in an imaginary physical place that's being colonized for us to to do that but is it actually being created also as kind of a penal colony as australia started where the people who aren't allowed to go out into the real world are going to be now we're going to be having to be in this community or you know there's so many yeah. things to think about with um Oh, sorry, Jax, go ahead. No, it's tr- no, no, I was just agreeing. I was just agreeing. I'm like, yeah, basically, it's a new type of real estate for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and, th- and, think of, and think about that, like with even what you just said, and like, think about how, what makes that the reality almost in a sense is this type of fourth dimensional space of emotion uh, because of the fact of you're having this involvement with others and this type of connection and uh, uh, interaction with others through a more uh, stimulating, you know, way of of communicating rather than just how we're doing now. Like mm-hmm. it's almost it's 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 its own realism in a type of sense in that way. And what's crazy to me is because it's like as I was listening to you guys talk about this, and especially with Uranus, like. I'm seeing how even Uranus and Taurus at this time, it's like almost this, we're learning to, almost like Uranus and Taurus, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm seeing it more intuitively of being like this time of take in the information, be the womb, be the womb to let it culminate and and allow yourself to to have this receptivity of this type of jolting energy of information and data and processing um you know and to come into that type of knowing and how you distribute it who knows does it come into more of the gemini route or maybe the opposing you know sagittarian route um i mean either way those are different uh uh uh, uh um uh what's the word um, not perspectives, but, um, you know, different paradigms. Well, different. Yeah. Well, basically, but different shades uh, uh, of it and how it looks as well. And what's crazy is like, I, and I, I, I kind of like want maybe you all to maybe unfold this connection that maybe was happening to me as we're talking about this is because, uh, we're talking about this realm of even now 1780s and coming into the 1800s as well. Um, and even how we see it come into the 1900s. Like, I'm pretty sure, I mean, maybe Jax, you might know this or Anne, um, that Uranus was discovered. No, maybe wasn't it 1784 or something like that or 1780s in that way? Or maybe I have that backwards with something else. 
Uh, Uranus discovery. I mean, yeah. So Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto were all just discovered within the last 200 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so like- Uranus was uh, uh, March 13th, 1781. Okay, so the, okay, so okay. Uh, as long as I'm in the ballpark, because now which is so hilarious, because we're just we're talking about 1781 so specifically exactly. right now. Yeah, that, that's why it was coming to my mind because I'm like, I'm pretty sure Uranus was discovered in 1780, uh, like in that area, and I'm like, okay, so it was discovered in that area, and something that baffled, um, and I'm pretty sure it was the French astronomer Alexis Bouvar that he was, and I, I talked about this in a very early podcast that we talked about um, based on, we were actually talking about even the Anunnaki and we were talking about this whole thing of planet X, all that. And one of our findings on it was this whole discovery of Uranus and seeing it, how it was not like other things that we knew when it came to its orbit, how it was uh, the axis, it was on its side. Um, and then it was this discovery of being like, well, something must be causing that. Something must be causing, um, um, you know, Uranus and its, and its position and everything, which eventually leads to uh, the discovery of Neptune. Right. And Neptune, I believe, was in uh, what, 18. What was the discovery of Neptune? 1846. No, I, I, I have to look. I don't know. Um, I, I literally have it, but I'd have to switch uh, switch it to something else. But it was it was in this time. And then it's like with that uh because it was like this whole thing and 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 once again there's a focus when you look at the bigger picture of all of this happening and understanding the influence of uranus and why it had such a diff like a very shocking um orientation when it came to understanding celestial bodies at the time um and trying to see what was influencing this um and then it led to the discovery of neptune which then eventually led to the discovery of pluto in 1930 um, and it was like this culmination of information in the celestial bodies in that way. Um, and then I'm pretty sure this also at the time, especially with the Age of Enlightenment in, in a way, like this is definitely playing into the astrological sciences as well with these discoveries. With now, um, we're we're talking about the shift from traditional astrology into now the beginning, what I would consider is the beginning of modern astrology with now these new rulerships almost in a sense. Um, oh, and, yeah. No, I definitely feel that. Yeah. So it's like it's crazy to see how maybe there's a sort of way that we can unpack, uh, unpack that with what we've been talking about of those planets and the discovery of them and the history of it. And even this whole sort of, maybe there's a new planet out there. Who knows if this new planet has new life, you know, like who knows what that is that's making this, you know, what, who knows what kind of crazy orbit it has, what effect it has on us. This almost kind of like leveled the playing field for uh, humanity and their own consciousness on being like, and, and forget about astrology in this case. And, and, you know, just alone thinking as a human of being like, whoa, there could be another planet, you know, that's really oh, yeah. in this way and it could be bigger. And it's like, who knows what 
what what life force is on that and now we're tapping into the imagination and it's so funny how it's like this shocking discovery of uranus goes into this imaginative way of neptunian energy which where we discovered neptune and then goes into this way of being like wow like the imagination of the extension of life and i think almost we're seeing it in this sense too of what we're seeing that in the ai type of sense. And when I say AI, I, I use that loosely because um, I've said it before in a previous podcast, like I believe that we are uh, some sort of way the the AI or the reflection of the AI um, that anybody or can, can kind of tap into that. Um, and I think that just goes part of almost being like the mediator uh, of the uh, culmination of consciousness in this realm you could go in many different variations of that but this plays along of of a lot of what we've me and ray have been uh going into and discussing when it comes to hmm. once again the nature of reality and the occultism what it really means and stop pointing fingers at the Freemasons or the Illuminati or something like that. Those are just sects and organizations of, of, of taking the understanding of the energies in a sort of way and being able to act out its role in a way um, to manifest reality in that way. And we are talking about it in doing that same thing, just maybe more so on a smaller scale. But that smaller scale, and I think that's the importance to that I'm trying to make the point of, it's like that smaller scale that we may think it's on if we come to that understanding or that understanding is that it's actually a very impactful, significant thing, especially when we make this type of calculated comparison to the uh, historical sides of things. And then we understand this stuff in in the astrological celestial terms and the grand mm. clocks. Yeah, you guys were mentioning the the finding of it, and I, I immediately because I read this book like two two months ago, I think now a while ago. But so in astrological timing, I mentioned this right. It's called the astrological timing: the transition to a new age by it's by Dane Rudyard. Right, I had to go deep into eBay to find an actual physical copy of this book. But so talking about the findings of those of the three planets, right? Uranus, Neptune, Gemini. I'm going to read a little excerpt here, but it says. To the astrologically minded person, a most fascinating clue is given by the discovery of three until the presumably unknown planets in our solar system in the 18th century, Uranus in the 19th century, Neptune in the 20th, and Pluto, uh, and in the 20th, Pluto. Sorry. So it is easy to say that the reason why these planets were discovered is that man had perfected both new instruments, telescopes, and sensitive photographic plates, and new intellectual methods, algebra, calculus, etc. Both these instruments and these methods were needed to establish the presence of these distant planets and of a variety of smaller celestial bodies in our solar system, mainly asteroids. But to say this simply transfers the significance from the cosmic to the intellectual level. The discovery of Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto is not mentioned here as the cause of our world crisis, but as the symbol of its significance. What is particularly fascinating about it is that one can show that overall character of the basic changes which occurred during the 18th century, at least in our Western culture, which constituted the spearhead of evolutionary development at that time, is truly Uranian. Likewise, the 19th century period, especially around the time of Neptune's discovery, is characteristically Neptunian, and the same is true of the connection between Pluto and our present century. 
And so it talks about how anytime these, and I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this slide, but anytime that I, I think of this, like, so these planets being discovered, I feel like it's, it's also being activated in our consciousness. And the fact that it's being activated in our consciousness, because we discovered the planet, which means we're aware of the energy. Now mm. it's going to play out on earth that the fact that, Hey, we see the planet now, now we're actually aware of the topics and the energies that planet represents. So, and then you could see it unfold as we find the planet's that oh, yeah. the, the roles these things start to play in. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, if you wanted to just validate astrology like that, where it's like, Hey, when we found these planets, what they're meant to represent and symbolize became not only activated in our consciousness, but then it started to play out in the realm of human existence, which is, so is definitely something. Effect. Yeah. There was definitely something as well that I was, uh, had mentioned in our previous and our episode one, which was, uh, um, was the cosmos and psyche because that's like a that's a big part of that is is discussing that and how interesting it was you know when you take something like the promethean concept of uranus and um you know the taking fire from the gods and and, and you know using it yourself and you you talk about you know the 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 quality of evolution and death and rebirth and and all of the ways in which that happened so directly between Uranus and Pluto over and over again in society, not just in one place, not just in America, for example, but across the entire world. You'll be, you'll be able to see specific markers for um, Uranus-Pluto conjunctions and Uranus-Pluto squares and oppositions where you can see throughout the entire world and, and you'll, you know, we'll go over at some point uh, some of these transits and you'll be able to see historically this is where periods uh, of, of change occur. And th these changes are so massive to society. Um, and so right at this moment, we've got Pluto, um, we have Pluto and Capricorn, we've got um, Uranus and Taurus. And so the next few years, as they both move into air signs is going to be is going to be really interesting. And of course, um, not even getting into the septile and the biceptile, but those aspects are going to be really, really powerful as well. Um, and we've experienced some of that already. So yeah, and I had that list up, and and that's why real quick I'll get that back up for everybody, and so we could just because you guys mentioned the the, the printing press and all that, and I knew I had it in here, but so with Uranus and Gem Gemini, right? It says, meanwhile, uh, Gutenberg was working on his printing press in 1440, the start of the printing revolution. The Gutenberg Bible was produced after this period. Then in 1606 to 1613, it was in Gemini as the scientific revolution began with an explosion of discoveries and innovations, the telescope uh, and, and Kepler and all of that. And then so with, and this is where I, I it's so funny you brought up the Neptune Aries because I did have stuff in it, both in these at the top and bottom, right? Uranus was in Gemini when Athens defeated Sparta in 404 in the war that erupted during the Neptune in Aries transit. Same thing down here. Uranus was in Gemini, 1690, 1697, in a slight overlap with Neptune and Aries at the end when the scientific revolution continued under the influence of Isaac Newton. You see all of these crazy scientific communica uh, communicative uh, things start to evolve uh, and, and the way we're representing things. And then so... We move on to with the Pluto and Aquarius. Say, let me, I want to add something in there because yeah, yeah. Max would know what what would be significant about this. So it's actually yeah. thought that Galileo probably observed Neptune in um, 1612 or 1613. So I wonder, really, yeah, and he, I, I can't remember that. what he thought. He thought it was 
uh, a moon. I don't remember what he thought it was, but but you can go and look at his journal and see that he sketched Neptune. Um, oh my not, god! I mean, he it looks like a little star or something, right? But mm-hmm. wow. uh, I would I, I would definitely that. love to look into that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, and I also wanted to say that um, when we kind of just sum up and say, okay, well, this is the and I'm not saying that's what Ray's doing because he's, it's just like, this is what we always do as a society. Yeah. When yeah. you talk about like developments happening and then the scientific revolution happened and then uh, Isaac Newton developed calculus or whatever it is, we kind of lose sight of also what is, and I keep talking about this, like what's enabling that to happen? What kind of mental shift has happened or is happening that's allowing people to question the the order that they've been always taught. Like to me, that's the fascinating part of it that yeah. we kind of lose when we just focus on the eras or that we shift from one era to the next is and where what we can learn so much about today is is thinking about exactly how those things came about. Because they, I mean, I teach the history of the scientific revolution, so it's my big thing to always say it wasn't, I mean, because it wasn't a scientific revolution so much because science that we think of it now wasn't what it was then and occult things that we think are occult now, they over, all those things overlapped. I'm pretty sure I said that. That's my big thing. And well, and with the list like this or anything anything broad and all of that, it's always like, I think then what you're saying is, is like we had said at the beginning, to understand the deeper aspects of the charts where other planets are. But what you can do at least is these. this would be the type of list to show someone like, hey, look, here's a significance of what this planet plays in mm-hmm. this sign. And the fact that generally speaking, this just happened to happen within this transit. Now, how it occurred, what other transits and other uh, aspects that could have caused and leading up to that, that's where I think the his- history mm-hmm. and the astrology get deeper. And so then, then you could hone in on an area and say, okay, so with the printing press or or, or uh, the so-called scientific revolution, right? Where were the other planets and how were they aspecting things? And then, so how does that lead up to the development at that time in consciousness? Mm-hmm. And what role does that play, um, say, from within? And then what's different now so then we could see then the different layers. And so what you're actually getting at is, and which is beautiful because it's, hey, you see like, look, you could generalize and it's pretty and all for a little while, maybe not to a historian, but the fact is, is you can't just do it this way. This is just the eye candy to say, hey, look, there are the patterns though. These are the general things mm-hmm. that continually repeat around these times. This planet happens to be here in this transit. When it mm-hmm. comes to the, say, deeper story and deeper history, then the beauty of astrology comes into play and say, well, hey, let me study the charts and where were the bigger uh, you know, uh, planets at these particular points and then go even deeper where it's like, well, right. where, where it was Mercury and where was this? And then mm-hmm. how it led up to it. And then even the charts to the people that discover these things and then how it's actually talking to the chart on the mundane level, you know? Yeah. I, I thought that what Jack said too, about shifting from uh, earth to air mm. is really fascinating too. When you think about, when you see it all listed here like this, it's like all these things came about because they're sort of revisiting 
Mm. older ideas, right? Or it's, it's, it's really fascinating to think about it in that way. And to think, I just, I really like that whole idea of, of what's happening mentally and in space and how people are interacting or whatever that's, and that's allowing shifts to happen. So, yeah. Yeah. To me, it goes back to that whole, like, as above, so below, as within, so without, because, like, that once again, like, I'm seeing a a constant drawback, especially to current times right now, to this drawback to Neptune, this drawback to our, uh, the outer planets. And you got to remember, we're going back now on being, like, 200 plus years now of, of collecting data on these outer planets You know what I mean? Like, so with that collection of data, we're having more of an insight. And every time there's the discovery of a new planet, it coincides with a shift in the most, you know, this, this mass consciousness, the shift in mass consciousness and, and the discovery of a new aspect within our reality and psyche. So it's like, uh, you know, when we're dealing with these outer planets, it's like there's major themes around the planetary energy that are coming to the forefront. And then like we're seeing it play out. And like the thing that what we're saying when we're talking about Neptune, uh, Uranus and Pluto, it's like now that's why I mentioned the discovery of it because I'm seeing the pattern. It's like this discovery of uh, of of even Neptune, it gives us this esh, uh, ushering in of an era, uh, an era of like this altered perception of reality. Right mm. uh, now, you know, it's also in the time that we start having photographs and a camera. So now we're able to actually take a snapshot and uh, think about that snapshot when we view it and it comes into perception of that moment of time and we're perceiving it in a different way and being able to be like, Oh, okay. I can remember the emotions or what was occurring during that time. You know, this was a different shift for that time of not being able to have those types of recorded in that way, recorded data of moment in time and doing it with a visualization you know, not just some sort of uh, of of writing on that moment of time, not just some type of artwork during that time. This is we're talking of an actual picture, an actual standstill of that moment of time. Mm-hmm. And I think that allowed um, the collective to kind of have this um, this like interconnectedness between all of humanity uh, of being like, there's a greater, a greater understanding of our mass consciousness at that point. So with that comes greater complexities to it as well, because now we're seeing that it's like, wow, we were able to imagine yourself during that time. We're able to stop time in that moment and be able to have it in our viewing and to analyze it and it's crazy because it's like even neptune when it was discovered um it was discovered in september of 1846 so i mean i'm I'm not sure the exact date but probably might have been during virgo season so it's like there's the analytical side of it and i think that's funny how that kind of plays into it as well um but like even during that time yeah march 13th oh march 13th Oh wait, sorry, Neptune, September twenty third. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. September twenty third. Libra yeah. 
Oh, okay. Libra so it was Libra Day. season. Okay. Well, <laughs> but um, yeah, like it's just crazy because like even during that time, there's like this illusion, uh, elusive type, like utopian ideal going on with development uh, of like even this communistic type of ideal. And we're seeing how that even somehow plays out in a way. Now you can further break that down, obviously. Um, and that's, a, I, I'm pretty sure that's also more so of a Neptunian Pisces uh, era as where was, well. Where was Neptune when it was discovered? What sign was it in? A Pisces, no? I would have to look. Um, uh, Neptune, September 23rd, 1846. Yeah, I'm pretty sure 1840 Neptune was in Pisces between 1846 47 mm-hmm. to 1862. Um, and I have also that that was, um, which the time of the uh, a communist manifesto by Karl Marx was published. And um, so it's also like this deception of the equal, like this, uh, uh, like a collaborative systems, uh, that have like this delusionment. Um, because of once again, this type of what is the coming about of big corporate. It was in aqua. Yeah. Oh, was it? Oh, it was in aqua. That makes sense, huh? Conjunct Saturn. Oh, oh, and it's discovery. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of, of, uh, idealized understandings of what's the potential of communities, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I do have to interject really quick and say that my phone apparently is about to die. Um, and I still, I know we still have the, uh, the slideshow to go through. Do you guys want oh, yeah, to do a to. part three? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I, know. I, would love love to, I would love to make this kind of a regular thing. It doesn't mean every week, but I, I would say, Hey, when, when I'd be down too. I think when the time awesome. aligns, you know, there's always so much to talk about when the four of us and the knowledge we have and the fact that we all can hold our own when it comes to perspective. And, uh, you know, and at times maybe do go through slideshows so we can kind of give this more of this linear way of, uh, but also keeping it, you know, me and G are not good at linear. So, but more yeah, so yeah, of for sure, for sure. You know, having, having specific topics where we can kind of jump around within the topic and really hit it to where, like, where is this relevant? Because I even like, you know, and I'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll finish it up. But as I was going through the book, right, I just read that the year, it says that um, this, uh, we have the Sagittarius rising chart in the, for the American people, right? Well, mm. that's actually a few degrees away from the Uranus south uh, south node of Uranus. And it has it goes through this whole thing about how we're going to develop the country itself and this whole Uranus transit being when it hits mid-Gemini, right? So there's like little things I'm even finding as we go along. And so it can go on forever. So I think yeah. you guys would love to do this regularly and and doesn't have to be a set every week, but we should. And I, I mean, I'm loving this. And I know that a lot of people will also and can also benefit from the fact that we have an astrologer, historian, two podcasters are really curious and now soon to be astrologers. So yeah, yeah that's definitely. totally fine, man. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You guys have an awesome night tonight. All right, Jax. Right. And then also for anybody, as of course, Jax Atlantis, go to jaxatlantis.com. You can also find his content there as well. Uh, Jax Atlantis on YouTube. Um, This way you can become more adept with even the interpretation of the astrology in that way as well. Right. And, and then, of course, I know that Anne also has been very active with 
um, really, especially with the relevance of today, like really posting a lot of, of relevant stuff when it comes to um, um, maybe more so. I think I, I feel like overlooked things when it comes to uh, historical um, maybe pieces, I want to say in that way, pieces mm-hmm. um, uh, on your on your Instagram. So, yeah, I've been posting on Instagram. Um, you know, we can put that information down. In the, of course, it's healing. I think it's healing for history mm-hmm. is the yep. name of that of that channel where I do that. And um, I'm getting I'm doing other things too. So there'll be more coming out eventually. But right now, I'm kind of inspired to just take uh, moments in history that remind me of things today, and I sort of do a little bit of a look at the history and think of it from the perspective of being able to change things, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're not, we aren't doomed to repeat and that there is hope, right? Mm -hmm. And we can find inspiration from history as well. So yeah. Well, and that's what you're, and that's why I think now it makes sense too. So when we're bringing up those general facts that you're saying, well, Hey, that's not the whole story. And so by doing that and getting a grasp of it, we're actually gaining the insight to the fact that it's not going to repeat itself. These things aren't generally repeating to where all this war happened. Oh, the the fact is, is there's more to the story, which means there's more to the astrology, which means that we're not fated to repeat these same exact things. The story is always changing. It's always shifting. And and from what Santos Bonacci always says, he goes, we're ascending constantly, you know, as, as a race. Right. So, and of course it's a spiral. So we're going to look like we're going backwards at times, but it's actually to return and go up a little bit more. And that's what the universe is doing with this, this story. So by you actually doing this, you're going to, you're going to play such a vital role to filling in gaps and saying, well, Hey, this historical thing didn't just come from this. It like this led to it. And that's going to lead to questions, uh, uh, astrologically. And also questions about, oh, well, hey, well, what, what can we do this time about it? You know, when we're not faded, it's, it, this is the general energy. But yeah, it's fascinating. And I, I know that you also have a show you're working on. And did you come up with a name for it yet? I forget. Right. Are you um, with Jax? Like, are you guys are doing working on a show and it is going to be called historical. Okay. So his, his, with, you know, hist and oracle. Um, oh. And we are actually in the middle of, creating that so people will find out about that soon it should be coming out in december so awesome you know well i'm sure that we'll probably talk again before then so we can let everyone know oh, yeah. at that point absolutely but, yeah i mean yeah. if you like we said to jackson it, it i would love we would love to do this as often as possible i actually named it not even by accident but i was i thought like just the first talk it's like oh language of the stars but yeah. I actually, and it's funny because you had history of the stars, right? Or in the stars, language <laughs> yeah. of the stars came to mind. And I'm like, okay, this would be a good pitch for the, just the one episode, but it's actually, to me, it's starting to evolve into this is probably a set series within our talks on the transcendence. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can somehow find a way to consistently do this in whatever fashion. If you end up getting a platform or if you've been jacked doing something, we'll just work together. I mean, this is the beauty of the new Aquarian energy coming in. I think this is what is supposed to happen, you know, new communities. Yeah, I think so too. Right. Yeah. Um, I love having conversations outside of just college rooms and, you know, I'm sure or college zooms, I should say these days yeah, too, I, right. I bet that it's really great for everybody to have access to 
all this knowledge and to, I mean, I love that you have all those books back there that you kept going back to Ray and <laughs> that we can just, um, just see make- my closet. <laughs> we can make the knowledge big, come alive. See fucking hard drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think I have over 50 or 60 gigs of books. Yeah. Wow. I found yeah, a website, a- which I won't say on air, but oh, yeah, yeah. let's just say they let you borrow books. And yeah. so when I found this website and I, I, I passed it on to Geo and anybody yeah. I knew, it's basically a library for everything and anything. And you could just download the PDFs. So I'll, I'll actually send that to you. I don't yeah, know if I hear, it's, uh, I hear about that a lot from, from students. So yeah. I, and nobody and, ever tells me what it is. I don't know why, I gotcha. you know, as if I wouldn't be using it. So <laughs> yeah, I have over, you know? I definitely have 4,000 books, I think three to 4,000 books just sitting yeah. on a hard drive. Yeah. You know, that's what everybody should be doing. Oops. That's what everybody should be doing with the technology is yeah. going out to find out more knowledge, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Whether or not people will mm-hmm. remains right. to see. Yeah. So, okay, cool. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll end it here. And, uh, that was awesome. That was definitely as good as I thought it was going to be. And we'll, uh, we'll continue to evolve how our conversations go and what we, we hit on, but just keeping the historical astrological, uh, metaphysical, uh, and, and getting all of our perspectives and, and trying to also re- meet, like meet in the middle and, and just gain an understanding. And then that's the gift to the listener. So I'm excited to, to keep it going. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having us on. You know, I'll, I'll say thank you for Jack's too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Until next time. All right. Well, right. So, and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep everybody posted and, uh, we'll, we'll put links for, for Ann stuff and Jack's in the info box below and till next time. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just nine 99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market. 